Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome, everybody. Hello, hello. Let's see. Boy, we got a, uh, several dragon people up and running here, don't we? All right, let's see. Panel introductions. Got to hit that button, then that button. I need a shortcut. Let's see. Who we got here? Uh... Starting the upper left-hand corner as usual, uh, Mark Overhoser. Hey, glad to be here. Dragon Day. Hey. Mm-hmm. Then we have Rick Uland. Hey, folks. There be dragons. And, oh, my God, he's got a camera. David Ladd. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I hope you're ready for today's episode. We got a lot going on, so let's get on with it. Thank you. Yes. Thank you guys. yours truly Thank in the you. other corner. All right, next up we have a stationary camera at the Dragon Meetup, and we'll get back to that in just a little bit. Um, L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. And then we got Ron Delvo. Hello. Welcome. And Ken Waters. I still need to track down myself a dragon. And next row, we've got Sloopy. Greetings. And last on the bottom row here uh, from the uh, Dragon Meetup, we have Richard Harding. And hopefully he remembers to unmute. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit noisy in that other corner. Okay. Sorry, were you speaking to me? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were saying hi. Hi, how's it going? Sorry, I, I was uh, there. There was an interloper, and I, it was uh, it was quite upsetting. Wow! <laughs> there is look. I I I I just feel physically sick now. We cover it up. That's better. That's better. Mark, if you can zoom up uh, Richard's uh, feed there for everybody to see. All right, let me find that here. Here we go. Yeah, this this was the horror I just found. 
I, I can't oh, explain no. how it happens. <laughs> is that one of those spectrum nexts or something? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. So no, that's better. It's covered up now. That's better. It is much better now. Yeah. So Richard, before you do your walk around, if you want to kind of explain, like you've had Dragon meetups in previous years, and we've had you guys in Dra on Coco Talk for the Dragon Talk special. But this is yeah. a special uh, dragon meetup for you guys in a couple of ways for where it is and which anniversary it is. If you want to explain that uh, and then do the walk around. Yeah. You know, as, as I said, previously we're in Cambridge Museum uh, because this is a great place to go. There's the museum there with all the computing stuff. Um, sorry, somebody's trolling me as I speak. So we normally go there. But this this is the 40th anniversary. It was released in 82. I understand the Coco was a bit a bit ahead of the game. Uh, so we're in Port Albert is actually where one of the factories were. Uh, it was the second factory at Port Albert. So we're in Port Albert town, but actually the, the factory is a few miles out. So uh, earlier today, we uh, we popped out to the factory and had a, you know, sort of homage, you know, pilgrimage to the took their pictures. Is that building still being used, Richard, or is it? Uh... It is. It's it's occupied by a company called the Chocolate Factory, uh, and they they make confectionery for soup. You know, for mostly, I think the best I can work out is confectionery for you know supermarket on brands and things like that, or specials. Right, you should have so got him to make dragon-shaped chocolates for today. <laughs> well, I I've I've tried speaking to them. They're not very receptive. Oh, darn. <laughs> you know, no, no. Not enough last volume. time I was, I was, last time they shut the door in my face and left me on the street, as it were. <laughs> so that was my last visit. I've changed the part of the dragon over there. <laughs> so, yeah, unfortunately, the current owners of the building aren't very receptive. Um, the, the Swansea, the original uh, factory was in Swansea, where the Metoy, which was the, you know, the original parent company, uh, parent company yeah. That that factory, nobody knows quite where it is, and there was also a lot of it burnt down. I think it was in the late eighties, so there's a fair chance it it was gone. <laughs> so yeah, this is why we're here today, uh, near the near one of the uh, sort of heritage sites of Dragon. <laughs> we have a request for horizontal video. Horizontal. <laughs> Is that better? Hey, there we go. Much better. Yeah. There actually go. zooms it up pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we'll do a close up. So, are you ready for a quick walk around? You go ahead. Are those dragon go ahead. So, yeah. No. Well, these these are Sony's and these original um, discs from Duncan Smead back in the day. So these are like uh, Dragon DOS 2F, which was done for the Alpha the professional machine which is there so duncan was kind kind enough to come along uh, duncan smead did the he was head of development for for a while and also he did the integration of basic into the dragon 32 you know taking the original microsoft basic and he actually integrated it into dragon 32 but he's come along today and brought some of his stuff so these are original uh, floppies that he had for the pro so these original floppies he had for the prototype Neat. And this is his personal prototype professional you can, machine. You can uh, zoom in on that logo. That looks very much like the prototype for the Coco 4. 
Yeah, it kind of yeah. does. It's the same you know, design. Yeah, three and a half floppies so mounted on top. Yeah, it's it's a Dragon sixty four essentially. There's an AY sound chip. There's uh, there's a modem. Did it have a power light? Uh, and it's got two. Yeah, there's a power, and it was it was two. You know, the full height sort of floppy drives, the first one, sort of first generation from Sony, uh, single sided. So it, it, you know, probably would, you know, and this is a handmade prototype, you know, so this whole top section is handmade. Uh, so it's a true prototype. This was the, and this is a spare board. So this is actually the board. This is a slight spare board. So this is like the prime, the main board that's actually in the alpha with the integrated DOS, uh, you know, the modem connection here. Looks like they're all pocketed. Yeah, it's mostly socketed. You want that on a proto board. Um, you want that on a proto board to replace things if need be. Yeah. Where, where's that 6809? Yeah, uh, point to it. So that's, that's the board out of this machine. Well, not the board out of the machine, but this is a spare board out of this machine. We know what would be that machine. And then what we got here is this is the Dragon Pippin, which is essentially the Dragon prototype. Um, and this this is one of the first machines. It has got 16K. Um, but they were going to launch with 16K, apparently. But what happened was the Sinclair 48K Spectrum came out in the UK, you know, which is one of like, you know, this, that was the major machine at the time. So they decided to go to 32K. So like if you see some of the early 32 machines, there's actually a piggyback board here with the extra memory on it. So this is Duncan's machine again. Uh, this is a prototype keyboard. We can do some archaeology on that, I think, tomorrow to try and find out what it is because nobody can remember what it is. <laughs> Nice Duncan's piece of history. Yeah, it, you know, yeah, Duncan kept some nice stuff. And I think this is the only, like, you know, Dragon 3264 prototype that, that exists now. I did did Dragon ever sell a 16K machine or did they only start selling a 32K? It only sold 32. It was the Spectrum 48K that came out. They realized they couldn't launch with 16 because it just wouldn't, nobody would buy it. So that, that's how it came about. They just... It was only this pro, you know. It's only the prototypes that had 16k, unless unless you buy a 32 and take off the bigger backboard, then then you get a yeah. Just think, people bought the 4k <laughs> Yeah, but if it, like I said, if you if you look at the, the you know the market from the time, yeah, yeah, you know with the, with the 48k Spectrum, which is you know the primary machine in the day, that there's no way they would have sold anything. No, so this is a. Tim Gilbert setup. He's he's gone full retro with the dot matrix. This is actually <laughs> like an exactly yeah. as it this is exactly as it would have been in 1983 when we were developing software for the Dragon. So it was, it was actually a Sakosha or an Epson printer at the time. But the Dragon's the same number. The screen's pretty similar. It is the original cassette deck and original tapes. And we've just taken a piece of code off of the tape. We've run it through the DASM assembler, had it print out on a printer. We just run it and discover there's a high res routine for drawing characters in high res that we can have an adventure into doing high res. So we've done a bit of data recovery today on this one. And it's all done originally off a tape and with, an, with the original assemblers. So. Yeah, it's been like, busy. Is that like an MX80, Ebsen? 
MX80? RX80. RX80, yeah. RX80. Yeah. That looks like a, a version of the yeah, Black You can have a good standard sound. Yep. I used those back in the day with Apple II. <laughs> there They're my goes. favorite printer. Slow, but dot matrix. Yeah, welcome, welcome to the past. <laughs> I, I like the fact so, you're actually doing the assembly and stuff actually with the period stuff instead of using yeah, these yeah, modern cross-stippers. Well, well, Tim is obviously doing his digital archaeology from his old stuff, so that's why he's brought his own kit to do it old school. So, uh, so this is... Uh, is it a 64? Was it a 32? It's upgraded 32, upgraded to a 64, so it's got a nice 64 badge now. Um, this is the one that was uh, being sarcastic and fought the battle to be upgraded. And it's since had um, a uh, since had a, a Dragon Plus card installed in it, a repro. So it's now got the 80-column twin screen, where obviously only one screen, so we're flicking between it. And we're running off of the uh, composite output at the moment here. So we're seeing the 80-column card running the flex operating system off of where I do the MMC. So yeah, so that's the CompuSense Plus board, That's yeah? the CompuSense Plus, yeah. Replica. So it's, yeah, so the replica one, so it's got another 64K RAM on it. So it's effectively 128K RAM. Uh, yeah, disk RAM, yeah. yeah. So, so it's basically, the power, it is a 64, but only in name, and it still doesn't run the Hobbit and the Infocom adventures yet. And that's what we're actually working on at the moment, is trying to find out why upgraded 32s to 64s will not run the interpreters for the adventure games where a standard 64 will. So something subtly different than an upgrade that's been working. So we're investigating it at the moment. That's our current effort. So Yeah, we're running off a Dragon MMC to load Flex off. So yeah, and if I, there we go. Yeah, if we go back to the other screen, of course, all you see is when you go back to the old one, men on the source. Because if I had twin screens, I mean, all you would see on the other screen is the, the banner that's put up when you're running flex because it's actually using the 80 column card. Yeah. Just because the CompuSense board allowed for dual output, you had the original Dragon output on the screen, which says you have flex yeah. copyright, and then also had an 80 column mode. Separate. The column screen would have had on the composite monitor or composite, as you would call it over there. Yeah. So it's kind of like the Commodore 128, where you had two separate screens that you could control simultaneously. And the only technical reference we ever had <laughs> until that came out. I, I don't, the Commodores, I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'll be honest. But, yeah, it's got two well, this is vastly it's improved, of course, because it's got a way better CPU, but. Is the power supply a brick or is it all inside? No, they're extra. I don't know. Are you like running? Which board are you running? You're running Phil's board or are you still running on the brick? No, this is um, this is the one from Mr. Whitworth, that is. Oh, no, no. You've got the original power yeah, supply. Original yeah, power it's still supply. running on the original but power supply. I have supply. got the brick one to go in it, but I haven't finished it yet. Where's the brick? Because I need the actual transformer for my other dragon with the lowercase board in yeah, so it's still running on the original power supply. But it so will be going where is it? When in it. Right, next up. Sorry? Where is it? Where's the power supply? Yeah. I have a channel and it has a stupid the little switch on the power supply. the new one? Yeah, we got, we got the original... Dragon Data Transformer, and it's, oh, it's running white? on the original. It's running on the yeah, yeah. they're white, yeah. Oh, yeah, because it's that one. Well, that one there in white. Yeah. That. There's another design as well. That one. Yeah, and then there was the second design. I think is that yeah. the one you got in the US? Yeah. So. No, ours doesn't. And it's, it's still running the original. Ours are big. It's still running the original. 
power supply. It was black, was it? But I think it was that design though, wasn't it? Did it look like that one? No, it looks different. It has I, a switch. I can't remember. It's a long time since I've not quite as not quite as tall, little little flatter, but about the same width and okay. length. Right. Right then, next table. This. So we have. This is uh, Duncan Smead, who did the. Uh, Hi guys. He says hello. He hey says, Duncan. Yeah, who did? He says hello. He he did a lot. You know, like I said, he did the basic integration and you know wrote the inside the Dragon Book. And he's very kindly come along. And uh, we have David, who's come all the way from Seattle. Hello. <laughs> to be here. So there's I'm a bit sure. of digital archaeology. Yeah. And That's David was part sure. of the original team too, wasn't he? No, oh, nice. No, no, he, he, was, he was quite big in the scene back in the day, I think. He, kept, he was like one of the, was it you part of Endug and stuff, wasn't he? The later groups, yeah, like National Dragon User Group. Between like 91 and 94. Yeah, so, so. so David hangs right in there to the end. He was burning the fire for us. What's Where he doing in Seattle there? now? Microsoft. Ah, I figured yeah, it was right. Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you could tell him I live four hours south of Seattle. All right. Oh, so is Mike Peep on there? Yeah. <laughs> Mike Peep, I don't know. <laughs> it's like someone yeah. I know. He's scared right. of burnout. Yeah, so there's a bit of digital archaeology going on here. Old school. <laughs> One <laughs> listing and a lot of scanning. So David has been uh, going through, uh, Duncan's brought some code along and we're archiving that today. So next up, this is Phil. Say hello, Phil. Phil says hello. Hello, Phil. <laughs> okay, so I, I remember a while back, um, I had the Dragon Beater prototype board on display and there was people asking did it boot oh shit oh man sorry language not anymore i got my feet caught i got my feet caught i got my feet caught <laughs> it was close i nearly pulled the whole thing on the floor um this is uh, john whitworth's sort of uh, labor of love and this is a replication of the beta prototype it was a, a business machine um, with, uh, we had dual CPU, dual six, 68B09s. So one was the primary processor and then one was basically doing DMA. Um, Phil's done a few add-on boards for it just to simplify it so we don't need all the RAM. So he's put some SRAM on it and he's done a couple of expansion boards as well. So to get the full uh, 768K of RAM. And he's also, you've got OS9 on there as well, have you now? On one of them. Yeah, on one of them, it's got OS9 as well. So it mostly loads off the off the ROM. Uh, that's his floppy adapter because it had a 26-pin adapter. And we actually, that's it actually running. So it's oh, not cool. very exciting. That looks nice. <laughs> yeah, so you're just, you're just running on SCART, aren't you? RGB SCART? Yeah. Yeah, so we've just taken the RGB SCART because it had RGB out, TTL, and it's just taken into the SCART. And it's coming out quite nice. So this, so to answer people's questions, yes, the beta did actually work. And, it, you know, Phil's actually got it running, you know, from you know John doing the replica board. And he's, he's done an excellent job, you know, considering he did most of this just with a few pictures and a scan of the board. He's done, you know, a, you know, pretty excellent job, you know, considering the complexity. Yeah, and to get it fully up and running as well. And that looks yeah, well, like yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a joint effort. It it runs just off five volts. Um, it does take twelve neg twelve, but that's just for the serial. Um, but it just all runs off five volts. 
Um, so it's quite simple on the power supply. Um, but yeah, John and is it, uh, Mike. Um, what's it, Mike? Sorry, brain's gone now. Miller, Miller or Mike Miller. Like yeah, Mike Miller and because you know, they've done and Phil Harvey Smith here. They've done a lot of work, you know, doing reverse engineering, you know, to actually, you know, get things in and you know, like modify the floppy drive to run off a, a, a GoTech. Yeah, um, because it was set up. It was actually set up for like it was at 800 RPM floppy disk so you know it just doesn't work straight out of the box but um yeah this is the beta prototype and this is the first time you know you know it's sort of been working you know in you know, nearly 20 years because obviously i haven't turned on my prototype <laughs> I, I i got it working and then was too scared to turn it on because it, it, it was the only board we had so it's like i'll just leave it and not touch it ever again but yeah, it looks like it's come a long, a long ways. Now, John, of course, I don't think he said he couldn't make it to the show because he's going in for his second round of treatment, right? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, he's going in. He's going in for a stem cell, stem cell treatment. So, you know, quite some modern, modern sci-fi. You know, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, if any, if, if any of you there are in contact with him regularly, just send send our thoughts and prayers and yeah stuff to to John on our behalf. Yeah. So there we go. Thank you, Phil, for turning it on for us. That's cool to see it run. I have to say that was a machine that really intrigues me because it's actually in some ways more yeah. advanced than the Coco Three. Yeah, it's it's got some nice memory paging facilities in it. Uh, all the all the memory is properly paged. You can set up a, a like this RAM lookup table, and you can page it. So it work, it works a bit better as far as I understand than the Coco Three. Um, but the, the dual CPU, I, I, th I think it was. I think it was going to be quite a machine. Um, you know, it was, but unfortunately, it never made it. Yeah. Um, again, we got another uh, another dragon with a, the running theme: dragons with no tops. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It just seems to be a thing. Um, so yeah, this is another one running the, the CompuSense one twenty eight board. Uh, it's just edit plus. So there you go. I think everybody knows what that one is. And then uh, what we got here is we've got Phil did a, it's still in prototype, but that's his VGA card, VGA adapter, you know, the Dragon VGA, as it were. Okay. Uh, and uh, somebody's left an, an insulting message on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, Phil... Sure, allowed, it looks like a know, spectrum. Um, yeah, Phil put in um, different character sets, so you can you can actually change the the palette and the character set. So this is the Spectrum character set. So although it is running on the real Dragon, and it's just um, VGA. Pi logo there. What, what's with yeah, the Pi it, logo? The, the Pi is driving the VGA. Oh, what, okay. what's, what it's actually doing is sitting in the in the six eight oh nine socket, and it's looking for memory accesses into the uh, six eight four seven. And it's just reading those off and interpreting them to actually then drive the VGA. So the six eight four seven isn't needed at all. It, so it, it just, emulates it. It it doesn't emulate it such. It it's emulating it, but it doesn't actually need to be there. The six eight four seven. It's just looking for the writes into the on the on the on the address and memory bus, as it were. So it just sits there, reads, looks to see what it's what it's supposed to be doing, and then interprets that back out. Yeah. So it's not emulating it as in such an emulation, but it's just recreating what it would do. Is that one of the best way I can describe it. Is that one of those W boards? 
no, I think it's just one of Phil's pie own zero. boards, I think. Well, the pie. So it's a pie, pie. zero or pie W. Yeah. I, I can't see. Yeah, I got one of those. <laughs> yeah. Ten bucks or something. So, so yeah, they're, they're just um, buffers. Uh, it's, it's, it's the pie that's done the bulk of the work. And you've got that running off a Dragon MMC. We did have the, uh, the expander earlier. Sorry. Can't, I've forgotten what it's called then. The mini MPI. Right. I think that's yeah, at that's Snyder it, yeah. Zipster Zones. Yeah, yeah we had that yeah. running earlier. With That was the, uh, again, John's sprite board. Yeah, the Super the Sprite M Plus or yeah, Super Plus. Sprite, yeah. yeah, with the, with the uh, MX2 graphics chip. So, so when you plug that into the light stem? <laughs> no. <laughs> it, will, it will run off original Dragon Power Supply. Just. Oh, cool. But um, this one, after. yeah, this one is running off... Uh, one of Phil's like switch mode adapter boards, so it just takes a just takes a single. I think it takes a single twelve volt input. It's because obviously the problem that the dragon with the with no built-in power supply, you have to rely on the brick. And as but everybody keeps the computer, but throws the you know lose the brick. They think oh the computer that's valuable, and then there's no bricks. There's a brick shortage. So um, Phil's done a limited run of these. I think John is taking over. Uh, you know, the Dragon Plus Electronics, he's taken over uh, distributing those. Yeah, I saw there was quite a bit of demand. You guys sold out of a run or two there earlier. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're, they're quite useful. And you'll oh, never guess you what there. I recognize yeah, that. It, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's on a Dragon. So I think Mike, is, Mike has been doing some porting on it. And, we, and actually, it, I, I must admit, I, I saw it for the first time today, and you know, it looks quite impressed. Everything, you know, the graphics look good. It scrolls really nice. And we're quite impressed with this. Yeah, we just uh, had that as our game on challenge here a couple weeks ago, and uh, had the author on for it too, Ken Reichert. So I'm yeah. sure he'll be tickled pink that you guys showed it off there. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know a good play on that later, I think. And um, this, uh, this is uh, Chris Pocher. Hello. Hey, Chris. Um, Microdeal guy. The Microdeal guy. So he's brought along is uh, pretty much nearly all his Microdeal collection. So um, there's some, there's some, yeah. There's, so there's uh, quite a selection here. I mean, he's, he's, there's some Commodore, there's Commodore 16 and stuff, but there's quite a lot of, um, this was like Galax Attack, the Tandy, the Tandy release from Microdeal in the UK. Cause yeah, because he's collecting every himself. release. Like some are specifically dragons, some are for the Tandy, some are dual, and and different artwork yeah. at different times. And that's it. Yeah. So Galax Attack was sold originally by Dragon Data, but after they went bust, um, Microdeal took on some of the titles, and this one was uh, a Tandy. And that I think Microdeal actually sold quite a few of the titles in the Tandy stores in the UK. So this is his vast collection. Nice. Quite, I know, I know, it's gone mad. And, then, and for those who don't know, he's got his own special microdeal uh, Facebook page for the 8-bit microdeal stuff too. That's yeah. the private group you should join. Yeah, he's got the microdeal 8-bit years. So We have a request from Mikey, the guy of Pi Drivewire, says, have all yeah. those microdeal tapes been archived? I know the Dragon ones have. Tandy ones, not so sure. 
No, Chris is. Have, have they been archived? Sorry. Uh, I have uh, archived a lot of them. They're not. They're not on the driving archive. Obviously, they are archived. Even the tiny ones are archived. Yeah. Today. Not all of them. I've got most of them archived because uh, I've tried to keep the loaders intact. Okay. And where have you? Have they been made? Have they been put they're into? Not the... available yet, but I've given to somebody. Yeah. Okay. They will. <laughs> he's Chris says he's working on it. He's done. He's archived quite a few of them, but he hasn't made them public yet. Yeah, just tell him to leave so, the Commodore ones for last. Yeah, he says you can do Commodore ones last, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, any Sinclair? Uh, no, they didn't do any Sinclair, as far as I'm aware. There was one, there was one. There is one. There is one. Arena 3000. And no, two. We're going up to two, which was Space Shuttle. But that was released. Was that released? Space Shuttle released in Coco in the UK? Or? Uh, sorry. It was Tom Mix. Yeah, Tom Mix, Mix so, uh, John Frace, I think, if I remember, wrote that one for Tom Mix. Yeah. So, as, as previously mentioned, a lot of the artwork was uh, a bit better in the UK. <laughs> I, I would go far beyond a bit. There was a couple companies <laughs> in the States that did decent artwork. Spectral, Mitchron slash Computer Shack, and a couple of others. But basically, you guys stomped all over us on that. Black and white yeah. rules. <laughs> <laughs> you know that Dot Matrix printer you showed earlier? That's what they did yeah. their manuals with. So. Was it? They, they went that far? <laughs> oh yeah, it was like a little baggie with a little you know line printer sheet, and that was that was your that was your documentation and okay. packaging. Hey, you know that little micro deal guy? Was that somebody's son or something? Cuthbert. Cuthbert. Who that is? Yeah, there's uh, there's a little Cuthbert there. Yeah, I just wonder if that was somebody's kid. We we haven't got to the bottom of who Cuthbert actually was. Although, which, which game is the. With his uh, girlfriend. Cuthbert did have a girlfriend. So oh, we're yeah? going to bring out the girlfriend. Oh, yeah, it's very interesting. <laughs> oh, look at that. Yeah, it's it's totally wacky. Um, you sure it's not his sister? Because they look alike. <laughs> it's. It's. I think in the, there was a Christmas one, and I think it looked more like his girlfriend. So well, we're not like, entirely sure. It looks like it does, him and his sister. It does look a bit dodgy, I think, <laughs> especially for kids. I think if I can do an extreme close-up, there we go. So yeah, this is King Cuthbert and Mister. So yeah, again another nice, another nice cover. I hadn't seen that one before. That's that's interesting. It's like yeah, Les Wally. Les <laughs> Wally. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just do it. I'll just, to put it in context. This is uh, this is one of the early micro-deal releases, and as you can see, it's a lot more basic. Yeah, that would have been a high-end Coco game back in the day. So. <laughs> it's actually printed on something other than a dot matrix printer. Yeah, it's even got a little bit of color, like a red border. So. Yeah, it's got it's two color prints. Hot color. Yeah. yeah, so this was quite common. A lot of the early games came like this, and a lot, obviously, a lot of some of the later ones for the Dragon went like this. Well, here, here's a question for you: um, Did they make a uh, Dragon tape player, or what are you using for a tape player over there? No, there was never official an official dragon tape set player. No. Most people just use whatever they had. Is um, the defense the same as the defense I'm thinking of? I mean, I mean, yes, I mean yes, Chris, Chris is dedicated, so he's got a Tandy <laughs> one. So he's got a Tandy one. Yeah. <laughs> and I but, see Blockade, which is a computerware game here in the North America. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I had one. I like the one I used was like uh, Dixon's, which was like one of the you know the primary electronics sales companies in the UK at the time. So I had like a home brand Dixon's, but yeah, anybody just used anything. 
there was no official one, unfortunately. And I see you're playing Danger Ranger on the Dragon right now at the moment. Yeah, that's Chris. Yeah, Chris is on that one. Yeah. Now, is, are there any monitors there that are like the ones in the factory that they used? Or you know? No. It's, it's the first year we've had a meet, and nobody's brought the original one. I didn't bring it. I, it was like I couldn't get it down from the attic. There's some definite weight. There's some definite weight in fact, you know, advantage not bringing one. But no, unfortunately, no one did bring them this year. Uh, right, next up, we got Adrian. Say hello, Adrian. Adrian says hello. What he's been doing is um, I brought along some of my uh, software collection. So he's been going through uh, a lot of the, you know, the Dragon games and actually scanning them in. Because uh, what he's going to do was... That, uh, Dragon released a set of eight posters of the artwork. So inspired by this, Adrian has uh, taken it upon himself that what he's going to do is actually scan all the artwork in from all the games and actually make posters out of them. Nice. Oh, that's cool. So so these, these are from the cardboard boxes, which are the smaller ones. They also did some like larger boxes. I'll show you in a minute when the larger boxes. So this is this is one of the ones he done from the big box, you know, which is like you know the big VHS style cases. Yeah. So this is right. one he's done, and it's come out re really really well. Yeah, um, that looks beautiful. He's even got the dragon logo on the side of the. Yeah, and this is another one that he's done from. Mark, from that's a prickly pear software up here. I don't remember who did it in the UK. Yeah, this is Dragon Date one. So he's, Date one. So he's, yeah, Dragon yeah, Dragon Date. Sorry, his question? Yeah. Nope. I don't think so. Go ahead. All right. Dragon Data did um, probably the best artwork of the time, I think. So that's why. And this is and this poster here is from you know just one of the big box graphics off off the game. So he's taken it, you know, and put the put the bottom on it and had it printed and cleaned it up a lot. And that's looking quite good, I think. So that's his project here this weekend. Uh, and everybody recognise this one. So oh, yeah. <laughs> this is so this this is our gaming challenge. So eight forty is the current record. Um, so uh, we'll sorry. ask since we have our, our game on challenge people here on the panel because we just we're just wrapping up our uh, of the same game game on challenge this week. Ken, how does that eight forty score compare with what uh, we had with our players? It's broken. <laughs> We've just killed it, and you're muted. And he's Ken. killed it. Yeah, he's locked up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just taking a look here. He definitely beats my score by a long shot. Yeah. 840 would be in fifth place. 840 would be fifth place from the Coco Challenge. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a go tomorrow. I've been quite busy today, so uh, I'm gonna give it a go tomorrow. You so gotta beat 11:30 to be the highest top score. 11:30. And who's is that, Mike? Who's who's holding that record? Okay, preview, Mike Miller. Yeah, Mike is the 840 high score here, so he's, he's holding the top score here and for, and for you. What, serious? Yeah. It's yeah. cool that you've got he's a winning, pair of the same monitors. Yeah, and something weird happened, which Adrian yeah. didn't know. He's brought, he's brought on a TV, and it's made by a company called Orion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when Dragon Data moved out, Orion took over the factory. So really? This, actually, this monitor probably came through or was assembled in that factory the dragon data factory there's a good chance that that possibly happened oh wow. cool so, so yeah 
The other one's exactly the same, yeah. It's another yeah. Orion brand. Rescued from a skiff. <laughs> Rescued oh. from the skiff. <laughs> Literally. So, yeah, but Orion is, uh, is, is, you know, took over the factory after Dragon Day and they expanded it and everything as well. So, and those basically hi. 12 inches, roughly? They're 14. I'm pretty oh, close okay. to 14. Yeah. I reckon a dungeon raid, another Ken Kalish game. Yeah, and I just bought a few little things. So this is what. So this is uh, Happy Birthday Dragon. It was, I think, it was released for their second birthday or something, which has got a, just a few compilation games. But this is this is their big box, as we call it, like it's like VHS sort of style, large VHS style. Well, actually, I don't think you didn't get. Did you get anything like this in the US with large cases? No, not that I know of. Cases. No. Yeah. So. Open it up. There was a couple that uh, educational games were released in the big VHS. I've got a couple yeah. of them. So, yeah, you got set on the left, and it's got what a full-size manual. Spot? Pardon? What would have been in the big spot there? That would yeah. hold a cartridge. Under yeah, the you, you could, yeah you could t- it'll take a cartridge as well. There's, there's loads of space in here to put stuff in. So you, you put a cartridge or a cassette. I think, like... Um, they released one that had a tape and a cartridge, so it came in there. So that's what the big box was, and that was uh, one of their anniversary things. Uh, and I just bought some random stuff, like I brought, like anybody in the UK would know what this is, the Argos catalog <laughs> from 1982. So it's got all your finest ways. <laughs> I think we had, we did have it on the, you know, so if you need a battery charger, you sorted. So Amstrad Hi-Fi. So it was just something random to bring, you know, to bring in the nostalgia of the eighties. Some great toys. Don't forget your evil Knievel. Uh, <laughs> like our Sears catalog. Yeah. So they weren't so necessarily we, like Radio Shack then. Yeah, and so like this this other oddity, which I think you mentioned before, like Boots. Yeah, Boots um, a chemist? Boot they were actually a chemist, but they, they started selling um dragon and other computing stuff. So there was just an article there on the dragon, so I brought it along. Yeah, but it's just one of those quirks of the you know of the UK that a chemist started selling computers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had that up here in Canada too. We had a, a chain called Canadian Tire. You can kind of guess what their specialty was from the name. But they were just yeah. like car parts, and they started selling like Amigas and Commodores and Ataris and stuff too, and Coco magazines. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Right, we we think I think we're gonna have to check out because we've got a meal booked right now. Do you have a Coco VGA set up anywhere? You know, no, VGA. there's no. There's, was there a Coco VGA here anywhere? Today? No, I don't think there is one here today. No, I've, I mean Tony's had one previously, but not today. We haven't seen one today. So we've had a slightly smaller turnout because of um, moving to a different area. I'll just show you another little uh, oddity here. Our the dragon branded. Nothing to do with dragon, eager mouse, <laughs> and uh, your, your finest. Ooh, sorry, your finest Commodore dragon. <laughs> Again, another. <laughs> yeah, suitable for Commodore computers. So yeah, so other little oddities uh, that occurred. You know, people stealing the name after the day. Huh. Right then, guys, have a good day. We've got. Well, to th- thanks out. for showing us around, and, and thanks for. Um... Thanks for uh, hosting this part of the show for us here. It's great to see you guys having this this anniversary right, you know, at the home where one of the plants was. 
Yeah, excellent. It's been great speaking to you. Have a, have a good time, Curtis. Okay, thanks, Richard. Thank you. Bye, bye. Do I have to map two bits? Yes. Well, he didn't have the chance to show us the seven other floors and stuff. <laughs> so, Curtis, you're saying you hadn't seen the VHS uh, uh, ones here, but uh, there's one of them. Isn't that more like an eight and a half by eleven, though, or is it VHS size? Uh, it's a little bit bigger, but that's about the size of the one that he had because it's okay. They came in different the, thicknesses. Yeah, because I remember like Color Computer Learning Lab had that plastic thing for like eight tapes or something on the side, and then eight well, and this and one half by just has the uh, instructions and cartridge inside. Right. And then they had a like a child pace program that had the program and some blocks and tubes and colored cellophane and all kinds of crap in there. Yeah. And it went from twenty two ninety five at Radio Shack to ninety nine cents at Goodwill. <laughs> <laughs> now, if only the Coco threes would do that. <laughs> there, they add zeros. They did, but you didn't get them while they were on clearance. Uh, I think I got one. I don't think I still have the one. Though. I think it was one of the ones I gave to uh, Glenn Vandebigler when he was still alive. Because <clears throat> yeah, I did buy I, some stuff on clearance. Yeah, because I know like 10 years ago, you could easily get them for 40, 50 bucks. Yeah. But then that's true for any of these, any of the classic computers. Yeah. So yep. a big, big thanks to Richard Harding for <clears throat> helping organize uh, getting some live footage from the Dragon Meetup. Any of you that are in the Wales area in, in the UK, I, the show is running tomorrow as well. So uh, even if you can just make it for one day, it looks like it's a, it's a fun show. And there's some, there's some like trivia contests and they're having the game challenge using Ghost Rush. The special Dragon Edition, which the author has said there is some special graphics that only the Dragon version has. The Coco 123 versions do not. So. so you people on the panel actually have a Dragon. Please play it really well so I can see these. <laughs> Okay, shall we? We want to do a host discussion, or uh, uh, you want to go into uh, the commercial and then the game on? Do we have anything to host discuss? I don't know. I didn't get a chance to look at the news. Should we do the host discussion after the news? Yeah. In case anybody sure. has, yeah. in case somebody comes ah. up with something, guys. I did ask before the show, and nobody really had anything that you know, warranted a full discussion. So. So do you want to do the game on challenge? Does it kind of segues and plus you had to kind of reveal who the winner was anyway. So yeah, sure. let's get that out of the way. Sure. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, uh, run through the first commercial and then we'll do the, we have a. Sounds good. And I'll grab a coffee. A yeah. rare presentation of uh, Cocoa Thoughts also. You are watching Cocoa Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original color computer, the Coco 3, and the world-renowned exclusive French Radio Shack. Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our program, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Boat and Aaron, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Brian Walsh, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Daddy Burrito, Daniel Williams, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant B., Grant Leedy, 
Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jay Style, Ken Reichert, Malfunk, Melly, Michael Pitsley, Mike Rayburn, OG Hugo, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Retro Tech Time, Rick Eulen, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tim Thayer, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom Heron, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you ever so much, patrons. It's time for everyone's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord This Week? Washita Eagle says, Hey y'all, I am a TRS-80 user since the early 80s. I own a Coco 1 but really use TRS-84 PS to write and play games. I still own three 4 PSs and have three Model 1s with monitor and external drives. I have a DMP-110 and 210 in my shop collecting dust. The previous bios were edited for time, thanks to Coco Man, Boys in Tech, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Nightbeard, Glenside Computer Club and the Coco Talk patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.cocotalk.live. See y'all on Discord! Live from your grave. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gaines. Twinkies, my name, this is my stage. Trapped in a circle, isn't it strange? Round and round and I'm dizzy. This game, Ghost Rush Halloween. Ghost Rush Halloween, Ghost Rush Halloween. Pumpkin packs give me a big fright. Ghost Rush Halloween is a big wacky scene. Evil bats fly all over and attack tonight. It's my game, always makes me scream. In this Ghost Rush Halloween. I got a rock. <laughs> okay. Welcome to the Coco Talk Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played the Halloween edition of Ghost Rush. We had a total of 31 players. Ooh. There was Lily with 110. Tied for 29th, we had Nine Finger Tom and Rick Yu with 350. Tied for 27th, we had Ken Reichert and Mark B with 360. AJ Bunny Slippers, 380. Charlie, 390. Nathan, 400. Marcy, 410. Tied for 20th place, there was a three-way tie between Canadian Retro Things, Joshua Craker, and David Ladd with 440. We had a tie for 18th place with Ed Rhodes and Gummy Bear for 450. We had a tie for 16th place with L. Curtis Boyle and Sab Head with 480. Jim Rye with 580. 
A tie for 12th place, which was a three-way tie with Exile in Paradise, Rich N, and Sloopy Malibu all scoring 610. Shenley, 670. Flutterball, 700. Paul Shoemaker, 710. Timbotech, 740. Mr. Dave, 6309. 780. David Craker, 800. Tied for fourth place, Brian Walsh and Tasman with 890. AC's 8-bit zone, 930. Buck Owens, 1020. And the number one score this week was Mike Miller with 1130. Thanks for a great turnout, and we will see you again next week. Well, so was that list the most amount of ties? Yeah, I would say it's the most amount of ties, and it's also tied for the most number of participants. That's impressive. Yep. So I think people enjoyed this game. What helps? It's such it's such a simple game to learn. There's only yeah. one control, a button, right. and but it's hard to master. There was a quite a few of people's kids that also participated in this one, so that was uh, nice to see getting the family together around the cocoa. Yep. But now that the uh, kids have discovered the cocoa, the parents will never get it back. Just like the old days when we were young. <laughs> hey, I got a grandson. His name is Elliot, like in the movie, or, you know, like in the video for the Coco. You know, what's Elliot doing this morning or whatever? <laughs> Can't wait to film him doing that. That'd be cool. <laughs> but he's only l- less than one, so oh. he doesn't know what a Coco is. No, yeah, he Elliot. can probably play, just bang away on the keyboard. Yeah. Just give him Dino Wars. He'll love it. He'll click the button and yeah, make it roar. That's right. <laughs> Okay, so, um, yeah. Obviously, there's no reviews of this game because, uh, you know, it's brand new. And the original version was only released, like, I don't know, what, six months ago? or Something like so, that, yeah. And there's guess, multiple versions now. I mean, there's the Coco 3 enhanced graphics and colors version. There's the Coco 1 and 2 version and the Dragon version, all with some uniqueness between all of them, too. So yeah. But I don't think uh, anybody got past the chocolate bar stage. And I didn't get a chance to comment on uh, um, my drunk siblings, but uh, they couldn't identify the chocolate bar at the beginning of the uh, game. <laughs> yeah, they called it a rock, didn't they? No, the, the oh, chocolate bar on the uh, beginning screen, on the opening screen. Oh, on the opening screen, okay. They got the candy corn and they're just like baffled at what the chocolate bar with a bite taken out of it was. <laughs> Or did they misidentify it? No, they just said anybody that knows what it is say in the uh, comments because we don't know. <laughs> made me want a Reese's because it looked like chocolate and peanut butter there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I will just put up some uh, play footage of the Game On Challenge, the live challenge, just so there's something for people to stare at. Now, unfortunately, we didn't have anybody playing the Dragon version on on the game challenge, of course, but uh, you guys saw some footage of it from the show running. I did want to mention one thing that kind of came up uh, in the comments in the Dragon form on Facebook, because they were trying to run it at the beginning of the show, and uh, it was running on some Dragons, but not others, and they finally figured out what's going on. Um, Paul, when he programmed it, he's got the graphics screens up in the upper part of 32K of RAM, 
And the original Dragon 32s, the older ones, as he was showing, had that satellite board to give you from 16K to 32K. And it's the same if you did stacked RAM on a Coco, the video would not cross over into the second half. It can only be in the lower 16K. Otherwise, it just shows garbage. And that's exactly what they were hitting. So a Dragon 64, which is just you know one bank, there's no you know doubling up of chips or anything, it works perfectly fine. And if you had one of the later Dragon 32s, that had you know just straight 32k one set of chips type thing it worked fine too. But if you had one of the older ones with the two sets, it caused that problem. So they they did figure out what's going on. And if anybody still had a Coco one with the old stacked upgrades, we did because they were cheaper to get 32k RAM back in the day. It would have the same same issue the Dragon was having. Anyway, sorry that was my technical thing. And there uh, so there was some um, chatter about. Uh the Coco 1 2 not having the same hit detection as the Coco 3 version, that the Coco 1 and 2 version was easier. Yeah, I think Buck Owens was speculating on that in Discord. I tried the Coco 1 and 2 version and I didn't get to beat my high score off the Coco 3 1. I didn't find uh, any difference. It was <laughs> any different. Well, what did Mr. Miller use? The Dragon. He's the actually dragon. at the show. Oh. Yeah. So. I didn't see any difference there, but and if there was, it was very slight. I tied my high score off the Coco 3 about 10 times, but never beat it. Um, yeah, so tips and tricks for playing this game? Uh, I, I guess for in my personal case, trying to stick to the bottom a little bit more, and then you can kind of like tap back and forth <coughs> to wait for the bat to come out so you can tell what direction it is. Oops safe to go up to get a high dot, but, you know, it running off the bottom and then suddenly running into you on the top to give you some time to go get them. Yeah. Um, that'd be one. Two, there's a bit of a trick, uh, which we saw actually on the live stream. I can't remember who did it. AJ did it on, on, on their show too as well, where if you approach a bat from above them or coming towards them when they're going down, but you come up above them, you can actually go underneath the bat and not get killed. So the uh, collision detection seems to be on the bottom of the bat. So you can okay. actually kind of ride the bat for a little bit if you get in a bit of a pickle. But once the pumpkin comes out, I have no skill. I have no tips whatsoever. I just die yeah. all the time. I I die pretty quickly on that one too. So you know, you should play scary music and eat chocolate bars while you're playing it. Well, it's already got some <laughs> scary music in it, so yeah. <laughs> right. In fact, that last little tone before the game starts sounds like my phone going off on the desk, which scares the heck out of me. <laughs> yeah, I put I put my uh, audio out into my stereo. Any, any tips or tricks from anybody else in the panel here? Because I've I've exhausted all mine already. <laughs> right. Uh, don't die. Yeah, that's definitely a good one. Live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't this be a fun game? Unlike a. Pegboard game, remember the old Jax games was a joystick with a composite video cable? So this would be a composite video cable with a button and no instructions. Yeah. Here's your game. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> the one the one the one real uh, uh tip that I can give that hasn't been really given is once the uh pumpkin or Pac-Man in the original uh, version shows up, uh try to keep uh in the top right because you'll often get stuck in the bottom right with the uh, bat coming down and the pumpkin coming over and there's no way for you to get out. So make sure that when you're in the, when you have to go to the bottom right, that the bat isn't 
is over on the left side so that you have an escape path. Okay, you, I never thought of that. If you get yep. stuck by the bat, do you get COVID? Uh, no, you just go batty. Yeah. There were some interesting pallets, too, you being used. Yeah, yeah I like think that is that just composite and, and RGB, and then, of course, with the wrong colors because it's on one or the yeah. other? Well, the, that, the lime green is... This, a, yeah, some of us got the searing green. Yeah, that's <laughs> the composite version if you're running it on an RGB monitor. Mm. My colors always look weird anyway. So was this game originally from some other machine or some other? It was originally a mobile game, I believe. Oh, was it? Yeah. A fairly recent one, like in the last five, six years or something. If you look at the green one there, I like the fact that the rock is covered in blood. (laughs) (laughs) And actually the spider webs look really good on that one too. Mm -hmm. Nice shading. Was that the uh, training game for using the old iPods? That would have been a good click wheel game. You're right. I never thought of that. But no, it was a, a modern phone game. I try to remember because he actually, Paul told me the name of it. And I think I mentioned it when he first released it, but I can't remember what it was. I'm just waiting what he's going to do with the Christmas edition. <laughs> good old St. Nick's going to be busy. Like you could become the ghost of Christmas past or something instead of just a Pac-Man ghost. I don't know. And I'll bet you that the Pac-Man will be fruitcake coming out to kill you. <laughs> this is, this is, I don't understand you, people. You don't like fruitcake. You don't like candy corn. Like uh, I don't understand. I didn't say I didn't like fruitcake. I just said that it <laughs> can kill you. That stuff's heavy. You can hit somebody over the head. Uh, and did you say you're a fruitcake? No, I eat <laughs> fruitcake. <laughs> Maybe I have a little elves. It's so, a fun game. It's one of those ones yeah. super easy to learn to play because the, the rules are very simple. There's only one control, but darn hard to master. You Like, I got to the point where I could get up to the, the, the pumpkin coming out pretty consistently, like nine times out of ten, but I could never yep. get past it. Yeah, me too. And also, like I said, a lot of people's kids and grandkids played this game and quite enjoyed it as well, so... I forget now. Do you, do you hit the keyboard spacebar or do you hit the fire button on the mouse? It's set up for the fire button on the mouse or joystick, but there are some keys that will substitute. It's not spacebar. H. Though, it's H. H. Yeah. H. Yeah. So you can do it either way. So I wonder how many different games over t- time has cost uh, them a keyboard. <laughs> oh, there's been a few. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> there's been a few. Damn, I can see Daggerath doing it. Because you have to type like fast as hell to yeah, hammer those keys out, especially if you're in a fight. Attack left, attack left, attack right. left. Yeah, just in that rolling L, motion. L, L, L. <laughs> so, uh, Patrick, are your keyboards um, tested that way? Yeah, yeah, they, they seem to be holding up pretty they're, they're robust enough, yeah. You won't wear a mylar off like I did in my Coco no. 1 from doing that. So. Well, I've played I've played Daggereth on Pat's, Patrick's uh, keyboards, and it works quite well. Well, there's a testimonial. Right. Does it show up on a Richter scale? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're definitely tacked off feedback. You can tell when you've hit a key on Rick's keyboard. You'll have to cut this out of the Coco Talk. For Why? Your head. For his head. Why? It's Coco related? No, you know. No, uh, you can uh, capture it. 
use it as an ad. He's a, he's a yeah. sponsor of the show, so that works. But he can he can use our testimonies as an ad for the. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Ken says you can smash the hell out of it. <laughs> yeah. It improved his Daggereth score, but I'm the idiot that's score. playing Daggereth <laughs> now. <laughs> like that idiot from the book. Is there a book? Ready, is, ready player one. Ready player one. Oh, okay. Yeah. One of the challenges is he has to play Daggereth. Yeah. Unfortunately, they did not use it in the movie adaptation, probably because nobody would have known what they were talking about. Probably. I just need to that. In the book, though, the TRS 80 actually was pretty prominent. Prominent, yeah. I just needed more Buck Owens tips in this game. He said, you know, do this and do this and you'll get 350 easy. And I got 350 about six times. So what do I do to get 360? I need that next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I Sloopy's the only that... one who did that, you know, by a large margin at the, on my panel today. So uh, what he said earlier probably is the best stay in the upper right, I think you said, Sloopy? I found that uh, a lot of the time when you catch that last dot that brings the Pac-Man out, you're trapped. There's a, there's always, yeah. He always comes out across from you and there's a bat coming down on you so you can't go either direction. Yeah. Oh, I do have one other tip. I forgot about this because um, AJ brought it up because she was, you know, when, when you have that pause for the music when you're switching levels, that, you know, if it's suddenly like you said the pumpkin comes out, like how do you know what direction you're going? Well, if you let the button alone you'll keep going the direction you were when the music starts but if you hold down the button you'll guaranteed to reverse direction like some people i saw were trying to hit it rapidly to flip the direction you don't have to do that just hold it down and you'll instantly switch direction and you just let go if you need to switch again forgot yeah. about that that's one tip ah. yeah when you have uh when you have 330 uh 320 330 start planning and on which direction and such you're going to be going and you may want to wait for the bat to be yeah, in a more for- desirable so- location but that requires me looking up at my score while I'm playing, and I can't do something like that. I get distracted because I'll look at my score, then I'll see something shiny over there. and You can't rub your head and pat your belly at the same time? I guess not. No. <laughs> no, or, or the cat's belly in Ken's case. But that, Sometimes I've seen you can actually, if you sneak up on the bat behind it, you don't die. Yeah, that's what I was mentioning earlier that AJ found, oh. too, because the collision detection seems to be on the bottom of the bat because it's moving down. So if you come up behind it and follow it, you can actually go like almost completely underneath it and you don't die. I find it interesting for the Halloween edition. He took out the vampire teeth that are in the original edition and made no, it. No, that was me so that was me breaking chips, remember? Yeah, those are chips. Oh, those are chips. <laughs> I thought they were vampire teeth. <laughs> no, that was a uh, live footage of me uh showing my soldering skills. That's what that was. Ah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I guess uh Sloopy. You want to talk about the uh, live uh, show on Thursday? Uh, I guess so. Even though we've been watching the whole thing. <laughs> we had one. I guess one thing is to remind people it's switched back to Thursdays. So that's that's one thing. Yeah. People have missed the show the last couple of weeks. They wouldn't know that. Yeah. Well, they would have missed it two weeks ago because we didn't have a show because uh, stuff didn't work. Yeah. Um, main things that I wanted to say is... Um, AJ and Tim, the show is now on Thursdays, not Fridays. Uh, when they uh, did their show on Ghost Rush, they were. Tim said that it was on Fridays. No, we moved to Thursdays, but uh, it's okay because we only did it. Uh, well, this past week was our first show because last week we had uh, technical difficulties. 
Imagine that technical difficulties here, but not our fault this time. That was actually right. a, a, a wide ranging problem that yeah, is affecting was, other sites too. So yeah, it was an outside source this time, not an internal. It's never our fault. No, it's not <laughs> our fault. It's someone else's fault. We won't name names because we don't want to get uh, in trouble. I'd name them. I'd shame the <laughs> hell out of them. But yes, we had, uh, as you can see here, we had five people playing. I think we had up to six um, playing total, which was a good, very good turnout. Um, hopefully more people will be able to play. Um, also, we missed our one-year anniversary of the Coco Talk Game One Challenge Live. And no one reminded me. I completely forgot, didn't realize it. So happy birthday to the show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we don't pay attention to birthdays anymore. Yeah, once you get to a yeah. certain age, it's like birthday schmirth day. Yeah, you collect so many that you got so many that they're like nothing. Yeah. I do want to mention we got a comment from Brian Walsh in the uh, chat here, buddy. He says, I think the Coca-2 version was much easier than the Coca-3 version. The collision detection yeah. for the pumpkin was much more forgiving. I passed right through it a few times on my way to 890 points. <coughs> Still killed yeah. me every time I came out. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I passed through it once or twice myself. I also noticed that the speed of, of things seemed to be slightly off between the Coco 2 well, the Coco 1 and the uh, Coco 3 versions. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it did seem I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but it was definitely the speed was slightly different. Yeah, and I've heard the Dragon version's a bit little bit different too cuz that's 50 hertz scores, so it's you know different refresh rate and the whole bit. I don't know why the Coco 1 2 3 versions cuz the 3 version I think is a 16 color mode, so it takes twice as much graphics RAM than the Coco 1 2, which so I mean the double speed should just make up for the the difference in RAM. So I would think it would be pretty close, but maybe not. Too bad Paul wasn't here to tell us. Yeah. Why isn't Paul, Paul if you're here? listening? Yeah, why isn't Paul here? <laughs> nah, he's probably got that thing, what do they call it? Oh, a life. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I've, well, I don't version. understand. What are you talking about? <laughs> I've heard of those things. I'm not quite sure. He's but... probably working on the next version. Yeah, he's working on the Christmas version. Or maybe yeah. he's doing a, a Remembrance about... Veterans Day version first, I don't know. Or what about the Thanksgiving? Come on. That's already passed. Yeah, we've, 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 we're talking about Thanksgiving Thanks, was last Thanksgiving month. Thanksgiving was like three weeks ago. Oh, you Canadians. Hey, we don't want to do Thanksgiving in snow. What can I tell you? <laughs> we have a That's turkey leg going around the circle. Yeah, but <laughs> in the snow is the best time because you have all your family and friends over and stay inside. And you can uh, reduce your bit, your heat bills because you can go to relatives and heat and have them heat their house instead of you having to heat yours. I don't know about your family, but here it just turns into a big snowball fight and people get injured when the ice balls come out of the freezer. So it's a, a little Yeah, well, that's a Canadian thing. <laughs> well, or you put snowballs. rocks, you put rocks in the snowballs. <laughs> yeah. Any snowballs we have do come from the refrigerator because we don't have snow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cuz uh snowball fights are best in the summer cuz as Bugs Bunny said it's too cold in the winter. <laughs> so. no it's a fun game and like the updated graphics i mean as particularly the coco 3 version the coco 1 2 version is very well done too and so is the dragon given hey, the, we, you know, the limitations of palette but the coco 3 i like the fact that the candies are instantly recognizable what they are we already talked about the game we're talking about the show <laughs> but uh yeah uh thanks everyone for joining us and uh please 
more people come. And remember, um, it's now Thursdays at what time, Sophie? Yes, it's it's now Thursdays at 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern. Yeah, we will generally go from 8 to 10 minimum. If there's more interest, we can go longer. And last but not least, I mean, this week we had a great game. But on the weeks that we have not so uh, A-level games, you don't even have to play the game that is chosen uh, to be on the show. Any Coco game you can play and play with us. Yes, so, but it has to be a Coco game. You yes. can't hook up a different computer. No Ataris. Yes, you can play an Atari if you're playing the same exact game. No, nope, no Ataris. <clears throat> no. As 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 the. Uh, what about the dragon? Okay, yes. it can be a dragon. Yeah. I guess no one really noticed that that one game that I played on the Atari instead of the Coco. <laughs> oh, I noticed. There wasn't yeah. any MC10s uh, present, was there? Uh, no. No, this didn't come out on the MC10. Yeah, but I think somebody yeah. is working on it. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe that's where Paul is right now. He's working on the MC10 version. Yeah, because he, he literally just got the Dragon one. That they were trying to figure out that problem the Dragon had if he had the older Dragon 32s, which they did finally figure out it's a hardware issue. Yeah, I know that the uh, uh, the uh, MC10 version wasn't done by... Um, uh, what's his name? Um, Simon. Help. No. Um, Jim Gary. Yeah, it wasn't made by Jim Gary because it would have oh. been done months ago. Well, Jim, Jim's not an ML programmer, so ML games like this, he wouldn't be doing most time anyway. That would be Greg Dion or Simon or you know some of the other people. Yeah, Simon's the one working on it, isn't he? I think so because he was showing off the, yeah. the, the the original version, not the uh, Halloween. Yeah, version Simon did the original version. So yeah, and I know he's been a bit busy lately too. So. Hey, we just saw the riding the bat there on the lower right corner just a couple seconds ago. If you want to back it up, yeah. oh, okay. Ah. Just yeah, just give me hit a the left here. Just hit the left arrow key; it'll back up five seconds. Oh, not there. Well, it'll be in a second or two. Yeah. Yeah, lower right corner, you actually rode the bat, like, riding underneath it for a bit there, so. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that it's more, the collision detection is more along his, uh, like, tips at the bottom than it is the um, upper side of the bat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think he's using that as his, his collision point. And the, the on the uh, pumpkin, it seems to be the mouth, not the back part, not any part of the pumpkin, but just the mouth part itself. Well, so you I can know run on, to the back of the pumpkin too. Then, oh, I didn't. Uh, I yeah, know on the Coco Three, I did. I have run into the very back of the bat a few times and not died. So, yeah, because it's but like not not terribly into the bat, but yeah, and it's more like at the at the apex of the mouth because I've I've had him like chomping on me, but not actually died. Yeah, hopefully it's coming up pretty soon here on the lower right, which I think Sloopy's. This is Sloopy's, yeah. Yeah, I think you already passed it, didn't you? Or no? There, there we go. Is. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's more way more into the bath than you can go on the Coco Three version. And AJ, AJ did that on on their their show too. So. Yeah, I was hiding behind the bat so that the pumpkin couldn't find me. See, you should have just bit down, and you would have killed the bat. <laughs> no, that's how I you do it in Dino Wars. I would have been infected and want, and I would have gone batty. 
So, <laughs> all right, that was the Game One Challenge. Happy birthday to us. Remember, all next right. week, Thursday, 8 p.m. And back to you, Ken. Okie dokie. Ken, uh, all right. I'm going to say one more thing. Uh, okay. Uh, I found myself in a trance watching that guy in the middle looking back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> Again? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. You got to the you got to the opening screen. That's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. Okay, so for next week's game, I was attempting to find another Halloween game, but well, unfortunately, the Coco is a little bit short on Halloween themed games, other than a lot of uh, adventure games, text yeah. text adventure games, and a few graphic ones too. I mean, you could kind of qualify like Black Sanctum as a Halloween yeah. style game. Graphical, graphical, uh, but they're still text adventures, and those don't go over very well unless I include a second game in those weeks. So, um, what I did this week was about five months ago. We did a game that is kind of related to Halloween, and I accidentally screwed up and got everybody playing the practice mode, so the game never got any harder. So we'll revisit that on the actual game mode, so it's harder, and. That is this game right here. And it's got a devil in it right there. Another Ken Kalish special. Yep. From Tom Mix. That is right there. It's David Ladd trying to talk, or is he talking to somebody else because he's muted and his mouth's moving? I'm not sure. Yes, Curtis, I'm on a separate call as well, so I've got two calls going here, Curtis. Okay, I just want to make sure you just weren't just (laughs) muted by accident, so. No, I'm fine. So we'll be playing Devil Assault, and when it asks for the level, it's either two or three. Level two is straight shooting. Level three is guided shots. You can play either of those. Do not pick zero or one, because that's what we played on last time, and that just goes on and on, never gets any harder. Uh, yeah, two it's more like three. a practice mode. Or yeah, something. it is the practice mode. So two and three actually start out a lot harder, and you get the devil shooting fireballs down at you and stuff. So, well, zero and one are more my speed anyway. <laughs> nope, you can't play zero or one this time, Mark. You got to play one or two or three. Okay. <laughs> actually, I'm looking forward to that because I, if I remember the 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 quote unquote real levels actually have some extra stuff that you don't even. Oh see yeah, the real levels have a lot more stuff than what we played last time. So you, like you it's, know, it's almost like a new game to you. Almost, it is. Point. It is because in the uh, like in the original in the one we played before, one shot kills the uh, birds on the first level. Now, if you uh, shoot the birds, like uh, what is that demon attack? If you shoot the birds, they split into two and start firing down at you and dive bombing you, and so it's a whole another level of uh, difficulty, which is yeah. much. And it is based loosely based on Demon Attack. It was not quite a clone. Yeah. He did add some new, unique stuff to it too, but it is loosely based on Demon Attack. Hence the name Devil Assault, which is actually a play on you know. Yeah. If you looked up in the thesaurus, you could pretty well pick the title right out of there. So. Uh, that will be our game for this week because, well, it's got a devil in it. Devils are Halloweeny, so that's my justification. Yeah, I and mean, you did mention actually, actually after you figured out the level thing that we did want to revisit this one because it yeah. wasn't the full game that we were playing. So that's that's a good good call. And I think it's been five months. So yeah, I still suck at it, regardless. So you know, that doesn't change <laughs> over five months. 
And that's that. So I guess over to you, Curtis. Yeah, I got some game on news to cover. So, and some of it is Ghost Rush related. In fact, I think I'll do those first. Uh, okay, we need an intro, right? Yeah, sure. That'll give okay. me time to find the window. <laughs> There you go. I will mention one thing this week, as you, as you guys have noticed, uh, Adblock quit working on my version of Safari, and I think it's because I got an older version of the operating system because I'm keeping the Mac OS X server before they crippled it. And if I do the upgrade, it, a lot of my stuff disappears. So I'm switching to Firefox because Chrome I tried a few times before, and it's such a memory pig, it crashes. And so far, Firefox, crossing my fingers, has been a lot more stable, and it seems the ad blocker works properly. So I might be switching that permanently. We'll see how it goes today. Yay. Hey, so first up, uh, some of the Ghost Rush stuff here. So this is uh, starring the world-famous master of the floppy, Sir David Ladd, with his gameplay. And uh, What? What? Well, I, I thought I'd just uh, do it here, and then we didn't really hear from you because you were busy on some other call or something here. So did you want to talk about your experience with Ghost Rush? Well, um, no, not really. It's, well, it's, it's, it's difficult. Really, Jason. Um, <laughs> um, I had fun with it. Um, although the, um, was it Tom C and someone else was on the voice call at the time when I was playing it, listening to me screeching and, and, uh, making all kinds of funny noises while being annoyed. <laughs> That's what makes you so endearing watching your gameplay videos. That, that and the oh really? <laughs> uh huh. But had you had you played the previous version of Ghost Rush? Yes. Or was this the first time you tried it? Okay. Yep, I played it the last time we we played it. You should, you should bring this up as one of the ones to throw into the TeamSpeak regulars and see how the uh, the other platformers do at it. This should play on the online XR emulator so they don't have to do anything fancy like install stuff. True. But David Z probably wouldn't uh wouldn't last long since he can't kill kill anybody. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to thank you for uh putting up a, a video because it's it's been a while, I think, since you've done some Coco gameplay videos, hasn't it been? Um I don't put vid- videos up very much. I think the last ones I put up was Mainly the comparison videos, I think, that you wanted. And then also my uh, cassette Fast loader comparisons. Back. So, you know. All business. <laughs> well, what can I say? It was good to see you just having fun for a change and just you know, throwing up a video. For... So did you live stream this then at the time? No. Um, no, because I still can't live stream worth crap. So, um Basically, I just used MAME because uh, MAME has a very nice feature where you can write an AVI output from it, which includes the audio and the video and mm, the floppy noises. And uh, then I just convert that output to an MP4 and upload it to the YouTube channel. So when you're mentioning that Tom and others were commenting, they were just watching a, a gameplay video you'd already done 
and just commenting on it. Is that what was happening, or did they actually see you live playing it? I didn't even know there was a comment on my video already. So, <laughs> you know more than I. Uh, I guess I'll have to check. So for your next video, could you have one that's just all floppy noises? Oh, would you really like that, Jason? <laughs> don't don't encourage him, Jason. Come on. I'm sure I can make that arrange. <laughs> the sounds of defragging Ooh. a floppy disk. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> David Dan is one of those guys that will listen to the, the meme stuff and go, yeah, it's running at 20 millisecond track to track right now. Floppy disk ASMR. <laughs> We've had that discussion before, and I've thought about it. <laughs> Make some headbanger bugs in the middle to really mess with people. Yeah. By the way, th thanks, David, for, for, first of all, participating, but also up uploading a Cocoa video on your own volition instead of us you know, giving you some comparison thing to do or some technical thing. It's good to see you having fun. Oh, there's some other videos I want to do. I just need to get around to, you know, recording them. Cool. Putting them together. You know, the whole thing. I know some people like Chase and know how that goes, right? <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, all right we have another one here too and this is from uh tim and aj at sibling rivalry my drunk sibling uh of course they're at the retro show in portland Timothy! and this this game they like so much like normally their their gameplay videos are usually around the you know 10 20 minute mark this went over half an hour because they're having so much fun and trying to break 500 points, which I don't think they did during the show, but they did later on. But uh, they had a lot of fun with it. A lot of, a lot of good commentary. And they, they both had the same problem I have. Like, you have to concentrate so much on this game that you can't talk too much or you just die. <laughs> so definitely a lot of fun, though, to go check it out. Um, And then they also, uh, last weekend was the uh, Portland Retro Gaming Expo, and they were, of course, had their own booth, and they were uh, promoting Sibling Rivalry. And uh, the second stream they did was actually for the uh, Coco, because uh, they also did an Atari 2600 and a television one as well. So uh, this is just a, a little bit at the beginning of a clip, but if you want to watch the whole thing, they did roughly half-hour shows. Tim's got his on. And it's time. No, we're, we're not on. And you notice he's got his Taylor and Amy shirt on, but uh, the camera's uh, set for backwards. So. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sibling Rivalry. Hello. At, uh, Hello. Are we sure? There's no, I'm presuming you guys will recognize this dance, game. I guess. I did a dino dance. To be honest, I was just... Which is the one they played. They played it once before there, but uh, at that time, AJ didn't really know how the pit stops and stuff work, so she kept running into it by accident. <laughs> that's because Tim didn't explain it to her. He cheated. Well, that's his, that's his normal method of operation. It guarantees him higher scores usually. So he beat, he beat you. I did tweet. I tweeted him, and yeah, he, he beat you. But it sounds like they had a lot of fun at the show. They did get some new subscribers. They had a couple people from the Coke community actually pop by. I guess later on too, because they were there. I think Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, so it's good to see them promoting uh, the Coco at a show that normally we don't see much promotion at uh, for the Coco Tech thing. So, I mean, it's kind of like VCF Midwest and, and some of the other VCFs there. We, it's, it's great that we can get some of the Coca community to actually start going through and promoting the Coca, whether it's for gaming or for just general retro interests, et cetera. Because we always were a bit of an underdog computer, and uh, it, it's it's time to fly the Coca flag high, I think. Yay. So, what was that? Yay. 
Yeah. Right. And that, thanks to other people like Sloopy and Ken who've been to the, like the VCFs and helped promote it there. And of course, Jim Brains and the Glenside Computer Club and stuff too. So um, one of these years, I'll make it out to one of the other shows besides Cocoa Fest itself. <laughs> well, you represented at Bull Fest last year. Yeah, that's true. It was the very first one though. So <laughs> <laughs> next up, we have Retro Hack Shack. So he's. Uh, he was planning on doing a, a gameplay video of some Coco 3 arcade games, like actual licensed games um, that were sold by Tandy. Uh, He's planning to do it as part of Sep Tandy. Unfortunately, uh, as, he, as he shows a little bit later in the video, um, he had to go get some hand surgery, um, and he wasn't able to actually do much until October. So he's a little bit late, but... And he actually goes into a bit of an explanation of exactly what, what he has and what it causes and Basically, you have to get your tendons messed around with stuff. It sounds terrible. But he goes there and he plays uh, a few games, and he's got, you know, his, his uh, Coco 3 has been upgraded to 5 to OK. So he plays Rampage for a bit. And that's the uh, arcade version there. And then he starts playing the Coco version. So he does compare that. And then he does Predator, which actually he didn't mind. Uh, so he's one of the few. Because <laughs> that's not one of my favorites. And I, I think, Ken, as you've said before, that that's going to be the absolute last game ever on Game On Challenge, because that means we're done. Oh, so that, that weekend I can actually take off then. Well, no, you have the best commentary ever made for the Predator game, David, so you have to be on that episode. Uh, I will just queue up David's uh, video. <laughs> yeah, that was so awesome. <laughs> he doesn't have a CM8, does he? Really? Didn't look like one. No, he's got some HDMI thing, I think, so... And they did a bit of a compare here. We're showing with the Nintendo version, which is what the Coco version is based on. It's not based on the arcade version. But he said once you kind of get used to the controls, you can actually get a bit further. It's it's very exacting, as as everybody who's ever tried it knows. I remember back in the day, I actually did make it to the second or third level, maybe even the fourth. But it's almost impossible for me to do now. Plus, I don't have the patience. And then the last one he did here was Robocop. Which is not too close to the arcade, but it's this this is a better one. I mean, the... The music in the background is kind of simplistic and stuff, though it does have background music, technically. Uh, but the game actually has a fair bit of variety to it. This is a fair bit of graphics. It was one of the super cartridges like Predator that you know had extra space on it than from a normal cartridge. And This game, I don't mind. This is a pretty decent one to me. I don't know what the rest of the panel's thought is. And I don't think we've ever done this one in the challenge, have we, Ken? No, we have not. It's in the queue to happen one of these days, but... Okay. So you go check it out. He's got a lot of commentary, some little tips and tricks in playing it, his his thoughts on it compared with the recurring originals. There's, of course, a few other ones he could have done, like Tetris and Sokoban and um, you know some other cross-platform ones like Thexter and stuff or Silpy that were very popular on other platforms as well. So Candy finally did start really doing some third-party, or sorry, official licensing in the Coco 3 era. We had a few in the Coco 1 and 2 era, like Zaxxon and Puyan and Poltergeist. <laughs> But uh, it was pretty limited. But the Coco 3, they actually started taking the gaming market a little bit more seriously. You know, allowing a lot of you know ports from other systems and also you know our official arcade licenses. So it was good to see a little bit of especially in that. I mentioned though he's got to start talking about all the transcodes like you know, like Ken did in his recent video. Next up, we've got uh, Davies Retro Corner. 
And he did a video gameplay of a basic game called Lumberjack, which is from the book you see on the screen here right now, Games for Your Dragon by Cliff Clive Gifford. And it's not a game I've ever seen before. And there's a little bit of the listing. And then the actual gameplay where you're basically hacking down trees and then you get these larger trees you have to do. That's basic, so it's pretty simple, but... I didn't fully go into like the details of what's being played here, but it reminds me a lot of the other, you know, basic games you got in books and magazines from back in the day. This kind of looks like an MC10 thing. Yeah, it's a bit lower res. I, I don't know if you was trying to fit it in the 32K easily or quite a bit. But yeah, the resolution on this, if you if you had one of the uh, basic upgrades for the MC10, like the SD, what is it called, the SDC. 32 something X, yeah, or the or the 128 for that matter. Um, you could you could actually probably port this game direct, almost directly over. And it actually would run a little bit faster because I think the basic on the MC10 is a tiny bit faster. There's one of your bonus trees, I think, or a level changing tree or something. Not a game I've ever seen run before, so. Can't tell whether he's got a beard or not. <laughs> yeah, it's actually it's actually Ron from back in the days with that. So. <laughs> when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, Alderson Retrocomputing, which is a we we've showed a few of his videos before. He's actually got his Coco Three set up and upgraded. Uh, he's got an MC10 set up and upgraded. Um, and he normally does fairly technical stuff, like how to set up BCC or how to set up the assembler and that kind of stuff. This is the first time he's ever done a gaming video. And I, I guess it's one of his favorites from his youth type thing. Unfortunately, he has it set to the wrong monitor type here. So you're using like reds and grays and stuff when it should be the yellow and little green, blue, red type thing. So the colors are a little bit flipped up. Uh, but I did actually leave him a message. I uh, mentioned that we actually had interviewed Dale here before he sadly passed away a few years back. So um, he thanked me for that and was going to go check it out. Because, of course, Dale talks about developing color baseball and all the other games he did back in the day. Putting some pretty original ones like Pickwitch. Next up, uh, this was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, Inufuto, hopefully pronouncing it right, which of course has been making these mega multi-platform things based on their own internal little uh, engine of like 50, 60 platforms at a time. Has got a new game called Guntus. I'm going to guess that's how it's pronounced. And of course, they've got you know a bazillion different ports already there, but they've actually got the MC10 version, the Coco One and Two version, and the Coco Three version are already all out. Now, this is loosely based on Galaga. Um, the gameplay videos are only about a minute long, and I'll actually play them just so you guys can see what it looks like on the different platforms. But I, he doesn't play it long enough to see if you've got like, bonus stages and stuff like the real Galaga had, <clears throat> or if it's just you know, the swinging ships, etc. So I will... If you can get the download link here. If you go into our Discord uh, notes for the news here, I've actually got the direct link to where you can download versions for any of these computers if you have other retro computers you want to use as well. But I've also got the actual videos too. Um, so let me find the Coco 1 and 2 version, which is the first one I found. Or did I put it in here? Yeah, I think this is it here. And it looks like he's running on real hardware now, not an emulator. <coughs> Like the other ones develop with this engine too. It has that kind of pause when it's playing sound effects just to make sure the sound's smooth. No IRQ background sound here. 
But it doesn't hinder the game too much. I mean, the original earlier Coco 1 2 games did that. We just kind of got used to it. Plus, you can move vertically, which is kind of cool. Reminds me a bit of Zenix that way. Anyway, that's the Coco 1 and 2 version, which is basically P mode 3. And the next up, we've got the MC10 version, which is in P mode 1. It requires a 16K RAM expansion minimum. Now this one he's running on the emulator. You can see the graphics are clear. And I don't believe, even with Jim Gary, I don't think anybody's done a Galaga clone of any sort for the MC10 before, so this is a first for that platform, I believe. And then as he's been doing late, or they've been doing lately, they've actually got a Coco 3 version of it as well, which is using 16 color graphics mode. So there's another one you can add to the uh, list there, uh, Ken. <laughs> Hey, go check it out. You can download the WAV files from there, all set up for tape. Um, though I think, if I remember correctly, when we did one of his other games previously, Ken, I think they did work on disk. You just had to copy and we didn't have to patch them or anything, right? I can't remember. That was, like, weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> and Anyway, it's good to see, like, he, he had a bit of a lull there because I think he had backported a bunch of other platforms, including Coco 3 versions, which he started, like, seven games in. Well, not got, just that, but in the last couple of months, he's also added like about 10 or 11 new computers to his to all of the games. Yeah, so he's up to what, about 60 or 70 now, I think, or something? Something it's, like that. It's insane. He's been adding about three or four every month, so. Yeah, they, well, just watching this one here, she... when I first found it three or four days ago, there was just the uh, Coco version. The MC10 version came out the next day, and then the Coco 3 version came out the day after that, so. Yeah, when he, when he does one with all of his... Uh, or when they do one with all of the different platforms they have, then it's usually about a day or two between releases yeah, you can of see, about two or three different ones. Yeah, and you can see all the different platforms here, like MSX's PC 6001, which are a lot of Japanese machines. Um, and what's the, the programming environment that he's using again? It's his own. He's actually got a GitHub. It's a C library type thing. Um, if you watch my video that I did about uh, about it, then you know, I have a link to his uh, GitHub page. Yeah, so he's Shameless got the source plug. code published for the engine and everything else. If you want to fiddle with it or improve it for him or whatever, yeah, it almost looks like he needs a a sound driver in uh, in that environment. So, because that seems to be the biggest problem, having sound. Well, well see, there you go. Something for you to work on for him. Uh, yeah, <laughs> nothing else to do. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, when he's writing some of the stuff for some of the machines that actually had actual hardware sound chips, it will play in the background, not pause it, because that's basically the hardware. But I, because he's kind of doing lowest common denominator, he's a bit more restricted on that, I think, because it might be some other machines like the Sinclair's, you know, ZX81 or whatever that you know is even more limited than the MC10 is as far as controlling stuff in the background. So it might be because of that. I mean, he could technically, especially on the Coco 3 with the uh, reprogrammable timer, you could definitely. Have background sound running without slowing the graphics down. If only we had a sound chip. <laughs> well, Nick, I don't know if you saw us when we were at the Dragon meetup, but when they were showing off the Dragon, was it the Alpha or the Beta that had the uh, AY sound chip built in? 
that Richard right. was showing us. But that was just like the Deluxe Coco, which was actually around the same time in 84. Both of them were planning on having an AY sound chip built in on the motherboard. And neither of them came up. <laughs> yeah. It's too bad. And it's really good to see that he's, he's still cranking out some new stuff here. And especially for something like a Galaga clone. I mean, we only have really two on the Coco. I think we've got Galagon by Spectral for the Coco 1 and 2. And then Xenix is kind of like a super Galaga on the Coco 3 and actually one of the premier games in the Coco 3 period. But the MC-10, I don't think, has ever had one before. And now we've got a rival one for Galagon. So it's 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 cool to see because he's been doing a few which look to be semi-original or maybe just not games I'm familiar with, but he's been doing some other clones like Bosconian and stuff too that, uh, especially the MC-10, have never seen the light of day before. So it's really cool. So the MC-10 so library wonder, expands the Coco. Go ahead. I wonder who all the pro individual programmers are that do these, who write the individual games. Are they all Japanese people or? I think it's just, is it one guy? It's just one person. As, yeah. as far as one I can tell, it's just one person. All. Yeah. And wow. then he, he's got the, he's developed this cross-platform uh, um, program so that he just has to write the program once, then plug in whichever 6502 or 6809 or whatever he wants to uh, Yeah, um, and it knows the different hardware because there's a few that yeah. have like VDG chips, so he uses the same graphics and same assets for it, so... It's pretty good. We should uh, get hold of him and uh, interview him, maybe. Do you speak Japanese? Because if you're volunteering, go ahead. Oh, eh? Toyota, Mitsubishi. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm halfway there. <laughs> Honda. And Honda. Kawasaki. <laughs> yeah. I remember when we brought uh, the Japanese, Japanese guy came to the Coco Fest years and years ago. Yeah, he brought the Fujitsu FM 77 or something. Right, mm. and there were a lot more translation problems than just English to Japanese. There's like a concept difference between us that's hard to to express. Well, the Coco speaks uh, Japanese, Hitachi. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to be able to interview him, but I, like I said, there might be a pretty big language barrier here. Because um, even his download instruction links here are all in Japanese, so I'm assuming he doesn't know that much English. He knows the commands because you have I've to seen, do that to load them. I've There's seen a, on some other channels some people have gotten a hold of him, and uh, but I guess it's not that easy. He's got a Facebook page that. What's his name? Inufuto. Is that both first and last name, or uh, it's just one name? I n u f u t o. One of those people that would rather do stuff than talk about it, right? Yeah, I think Isn't, so. Uh, yeah. There's a named Joel that's living in Japan, right? He probably speaks Japanese. Joel Reese, yeah, he does speak Joel Japanese. Reese. Yeah, yeah, so he might be a good uh, go-to or middleman. And then so we have to figure out what time zone Japan's in. Well, they'd be... Um, Pretty close like to minus, Australia. Like minus eight from here. Yeah, they'd be the, roughly the same time zone as what I am. So, so what time is it there, Nick? It's it's Sunday. Right, what? Well, right now it's about four thirty a.m. On uh, I think it would have to be a uh, taped interview. <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah, I'm kind of gathering yeah. too. I don't think he'd be willing to wake up at four in the morning like Nick does to join us. <laughs> We'd have to send him a box of cash. We'll send him some candy corn. Yeah. Oh Jesus! You want him on the show, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I like it's candy corn. That I don't wrong with people. It's interesting that he's also chosen the MC-10 and the Coco 
because uh, I don't know how how well known they are in uh, in Japan. Well, the coke, the well, uh, that's a good question. The cocoa I know was somewhat popular because I've seen some other people mention the cocoa in Japan. The MC10 and the uh, like, say the Dragon or something. I don't know. Um, and OS9 was quite popular in Japan. The Fujitsu, yeah, the FM7, FM77, yeah. FM77 of A, all all ran that. So, in because fact, it, uh, Microware had official distributors in Japan specifically because it was a popular market. It seems that a lot of the other machines that he's coded for are Japanese or more yeah. Japanese oriented, and uh, that's why I thought the the Coco and the MC10 sort of are the odd ones uh, out. Well, he's just started releasing this particular game, so he doesn't have anywhere near as many ports out for this one. But the other ones, he's got he's got European machines, UK machines, oh, North American machines. He's got PC DOS, and oh, you know, he's got a whole bunch. This is just like the first wave this week, right. as as Ken was mentioning, because he just keeps cranking them out multiple times per per week. You know, doing the different ports. Did the FM Seven have uh, the VDG like we do with the green screen? Nope. No. It had a separate second CPU that drove graphics and it had its own other graphics chip. So it was a dual CPU like the Dragon Beta was, except the Dragon Beta used their second one for DMA, as Richard was mentioning, like speeding up disk access and memory copies and stuff. Whereas the Fujitsu, the second one was devoted solely to doing graphics and tech stuff. So it was basically your windowing manager chip and had a much better graphics chip and sound chip than we ever, ever had. And it cost, it cost more too. Yeah, no, it wasn't a cheap one, but it was a high-end machine. I mean, a dual CPU back in 85, 86, or whatever it was, or even 84. Um, it's one of the few dual CPU ones that actually came out, because like we mentioned, you know, Dragon was looking at doing that too, and then they, they folded before it actually got finished. So, And Tandy never did do a dual one. I don't think they even had an inkling to do a dual CPU one. Anyway, it's, it's a, it looks to be a pretty decent one, and, and we've done some of the games before on the Game On Challenge, so once again, it keeps expanding. My webpage gets further and further behind. Next up, we have Port Battles Frogger. Uh, now, this is a channel we've covered before, and they do comparisons between a whole bunch of different versions. Sometimes clones are included. Sometimes it's strictly the uh, actual official adaptations or unofficial adaptations in some cases. Um, now, this is one he's actually covered before, but before when he did it, he only had like 20 machines or 10 machines or something like that on the first version, which he did years ago. This is an updated one because there's a lot of other versions of Frogger he discovered, so it's now 36 originals and ports and clones, and it actually does cover the Coco and Dragon version of Frogger. I won't play here because I think most of us have already seen that, but if you want to see what it looked like on various different platforms ranging from more primitive to the Coco to way beyond the Coco type thing, it's actually a very interesting look at you know how different uh, machines interpreted the arcade classic Frogger. And of course, Nick himself is kind of doing a, not quite a clone, more like an expansion of uh, right now. Reimagining. Yeah, yeah. Basically, anything to avoid copyright trouble. Um, That's right. Called Jumping Joys. So. And I sacked and, the frog and I put a kangaroo in there. <laughs> yeah, now it's totally different. <laughs> <laughs> now, Nick, I know you're getting close to getting it out to some beta testers and stuff here. Are you planning uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks to kind of give everybody an update on that? Not today, obviously. Yeah, but. yeah. I, I hope to have a yeah. I'll, do, I'll just do a quick update for you. Um, the game's the game's complete now. I'm basically going through and uh, just checking for any uh, bugs and any enhancements I need to do or fi other th changes, uh, and then I'm ready to uh, send it out to uh, 
get a few select people to uh, game test it. I've started doing the artwork for the uh, packaging that I, when I marketed a web page, and I hope to have a video out next week that at least people can then finally see what I've been uh, wasting my time on so long. So <laughs> Here's one of the Atari 2600 version, just for comparison. That's the Odyssey version. Or Odyssey, sorry, right. And I think there was two on the Atari 2600 that he mentions. There's a, a later version that was much better than the original one. In fact, if I, yeah, he has a list here. Yeah, here's all the different systems he covered. From the arcade original, right from the Apple II on through. And of course, the Dragon 32 over here, Coco over here, which is this exact same game, basically. Spectrums, Game Boys, you name it. There's a ton of stuff in there. I, I like his videos, his comparison videos, because I like seeing what you know, the other ones did with whatever hardware restrictions they had. Right up to the PlayStation, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty modern on some of those. Yeah. What's the Atari? Uh, oh, the, sorry. Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> sorry. Hmm. Uh, next up, we have Rob's Retro Rambles returns to the Dragon for the first time in a few months. Um, he's doing a playthrough in his standard commentary, which is usually pretty hilarious, and his lava lamps in the background, of Ghost Attack. And this is actually an adaptation of Pack Attack from Computerware, which was really done in 1981 for the Coco One. So that actually came out the year before the Dragon even existed. Now, in the UK, they went after copyrights on clones more strictly than the US. So we had a lot of Pack This and Pack That on every platform in North America, where they made it look like the arcade as close as they could, and they actually made the names pretty darn close. My understanding is, uh, from talking to some of the people in the UK, that was much more pursued legally. So you did have to make some changes to the graphics. You had to make some changes to the titles. You, you had to make it a bit more distant from the original arcade game. And this is one of those cases. It was Pack Attack in North America. I'm assuming in Australia as well. They changed it to Ghost Tech and changed some of the graphics as well so that it didn't look quite as close to Pac-Man as it did. So I'll play a little bit of a clip of this here uh, just so you guys can kind of get a get. But these, if you want the full commentary, you can check it out after the, the show. Hello, you. This is, is that Ghost enough? Attack on the Dragon 32. And I wonder what kind of game it could be coming out in 1981 and having ghosts in the title. Oh, oh, what could it be? Could it be a certain <laughs> maze game being chased by ghosts? I don't know for sure, but let's press fire and see. Uh, easy, hard. Semi-graphics. Let's go with, let's go with hard. Yep. Oh, look at this. Right. Oh, we've got more than one power pellet, then, have we? And the ghosts don't seem too bothered about following me. Okay. And as usual, he realizes partway through the video that he forgot to zoom the camera in. So I'll do that. Yeah. There we are. Oh, bloody hell. Dear God, did you see that? If not, rewind and watch the black. <laughs> you did. I, just, I can't believe that. <laughs> Oh, hell, I should have done... But this is one of the earliest semi-graphics 24 games I ever saw in the Coco. Like, this came out before yeah. Cave Hunter did. This is uh, the literally the second year the Coco was out. This is on easy mode, for flip's sake. Now, I'm going to go with easy mode again until... And I'm trying to remember, Ken, I don't think we've covered Pack Attack or Pack Attack 2 on uh, the Game on Challenge either. Ever. I don't believe we have. I mean, there's like 14 different Pac-Mans for the Coco, yeah. so I'm sure you got lots to mine there. But Got to uh, space them out. Yeah. 
But this is one of the earliest ones. This came out the year before Ghost Gobbler did, for example, from Spectral, two years before, uh, what was Tom Mix's snack pack or something? So this is one of the earliest ones. And it's also one of the earliest Semigraphics games I, I, I saw back in the day. Um, and Semigraphics 24, too, which is the one with the uh, single pixel high pixels and, and, and dot, I should say. And, uh, you know, the full width of the Semigraphics mode. And mixes text and stuff. So if you tried to do this in the Coco 3, you can play it, but you won't be able to see your score. You won't see the score, no. Yeah. That's a little bit different than the actual arcade game. There's a lot more power pellets. The maze is much more complex. Uh, there's only one maze. There's only one bonus fruit, which is an apple with a bite taken out of it. But, and, and some pretty gratiating, uh, ingratiating uh, sound effects when you die. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway. One one to think about for a future episode if you wanted to go way back in time to the earliest days of the Coco. So this is one of the first third-party games out, you know, after Radio Shack had their own few games out. So if you want to delve into the history of the early stuff here, this is a this is a good one to start out because it's I think it's I can't remember what month it came out. So I think it was the summer of eighty one it came out, and the Coco got announced the summer of eighty, so within the first year. At least it's that's colorful. it for the game on news. Sorry? At least it's colorful. Yeah. Yeah, no, but quite a few of the old games, like um, Cave Hunter was by the same company. that uh, also used Semigraphics 24, and then Protectors 2 came out the year after in 82, and Guardian, I think, came out late 82, early 83. So there was a bit of a flurry there in 81, 82. There was a few Semigraphics games on the Coco, higher Semigraphics. But then Tandy started recommending that mode and I not stay, which actually, it stayed right through the Coco 2, I believe. But when the Coco 3 came out, it did kind of, unless you knew the tricks, you know, like Sockmasters discovered you've used, that uh, it didn't quite work. So I, I guess maybe, I, I, I doubt if they were planning that far ahead on the Coco 3, but uh, because it was unique to the combination of the SAM and the BDG, if they changed either of those chips, they would have broke. So I think that's why Tandy kind of pushed off it, even though they published their own stuff, like Audio Spectrum Analyzer and Adam both used it. But Yeah, so Adam go- was a fun game. Yeah, and it had one a poster that a lot of people really liked with the periodic table type thing. It came with the actual original game, apparently. But did you want me to go straight to the regular news, Mark, or did you? From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with El Christmas. And now a Muppet News Flash. Okay. Okie dokie. Where did it go? Okay, you guys seen that? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So James Diffendaffer, of course, likes playing with all these mathematical graphing type things, uh, especially using his little patches uh, he's done to the you know, ROM code from Microsoft Basic to make it a bit faster. And now he's lately been playing with adding in uh, calls to turn the native mode on a 6 through 9 on. So in this case here, he did the same thing. Uh, he's got both of those in. As he pointed out here, it took 11.7 minutes to fully generate on a Coco 3. The Apple II version took 32 minutes to complete. And 22 minutes after it was compiled with the Einstein Basic Compiler. Now, Mark Oberhoser, I'm sure you're more familiar with the Einstein Basic Compiler than I, than I am. How good of a compiler was that? Um, There was a couple of them. The Microsoft like I remember Expeditor one. was one, wasn't it? I don't remember that name. I know Microsoft had one called Task, the AppleSoft compiler, and it was actually 
pretty bad. Einstein, as I remember, was pretty good. There was, of course, always some things that you would have in basic that wouldn't work right. You'd have to work around them. And then later on, uh, Beagle Brothers, who made lots of utilities, they had a compiler as well. But as I recall, the Einstein one was pretty good, and it did speed stuff up quite a bit. Yeah, like in this one, it literally it, it, it cut it down to taking two-thirds the time it would have taken without compiling. So it sped it up like 30-some-odd percent, which is pretty decent. Yeah, you, you know, Microsoft, well, the AppleSoft Basic is what all these are compiling based on the Microsoft. And, uh, you know, all the numbers are floats rather than integers, so there's yeah. a real hit there. So, yeah, there's just a lot of room for efficiency improvements, lots and lots. <laughs> yeah. And the screenshot he's got here is basically showing it with um, how far it got in the exact same amount of time. On the left, just using stock Microsoft Basic, and on the right, using his multiply patch to the basic ROMs and kicking in native mode. So it's it's finished drawing on the right, and the one on the left that started at the same time, you see it's still got a fair bit of drawing left on the top and on the, the side, left side in particular, and a little bit on the right side. So, And as usual, James publishes his actual source code here, which you can play around with. And I think this is actually a P mode 4. Where did you set the screen there? Oh, no, this is actually an uh, uh, H screen. This is actually using Cocoa 3 graphics specifically. The last one he did last week was actually, he had the pokes in for double speed on Cocoa 3, but actually would run on a Cocoa 1 2 with a quick mod. This is actually set up for our Cocoa 3, so it's a bit higher res. And then he goes there and explains, you know, his different patches, et cetera, too, like he usually does. So so it's kind of fun seeing, you know, just kicking in native mode and, and basically a patch to one instruction for doing floating point multiplication there actually, you know, creates a pretty decent speed increase without even having to run a compiler. So now the Apple II ran at what Mark was the exact speed one point oh two five kilohertz or something or just yeah one point one point oh four it's right around one megahertz so yeah and then the Cocoa three runs at one point seven eight which is just a hair over one and three quarters well but and, the sixty eight oh nine's definitely got efficiency and instruction so yeah I mean it, literally from looking at this we were almost three times faster not quite yep. uh, from the original mm -hmm. AppleSoft version and then the compiled version we're still almost twice as fast so. Pretty, pretty good comparison. I like those kind oh, of yeah. comparisons. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And of course, I'll have to make a base 9 version see if I can get it running faster yet. But And actually, this is a total side note, but Ken, you got the uh, zip I sent you for... Yes, I did. Okay. We might cover that later on. We're talking about doing a base 9 live stream since we were talking about it back uh, during Coca Fest here and still haven't done it yet. So. <laughs> uh, call out to everybody uh, listening, catching up on this later, watching live. If you're interested in Basic 9 programming, <clears throat> Ken and I are planning on doing a live stream, uh, just covering some stuff in Basic 9. We might pick a few of our own topics that we want to kind of cover. But anybody else who has any questions or anything they want to figure out how to do that they don't know how to do in Basic 9, give us a shout. You can email me directly at curtisboyle at sastel.net, or you can hit us up on the Discord or hit us up on the Cocoa uh, Facebook groups, etc. Any suggestions of stuff you'd like to cover, and uh, we'll do our best to cover that. Also, uh, before I forget here... Um, we are going to be doing an interview, this part two of the Nitrous 9 30th anniversary, which is roughly covering the second decade, which is the decade after it went from a commercial product to freeware. And then it became an open source project. And that's when uh, Al and Bill and I handed off the code to Boise, who then got people like Robert Galt and a few other people involved. And then they, they created like DriveWire and uh, the Mamu Assembler and a whole bunch of other stuff that's, that's part of that second decade as it became an open source project. And then it became really open source with a ton of people contributing. And that'll be the third decade we'll cover later. But Boise has agreed to come on to be interviewed. So if you have any questions you want me to ask him, 
Um, you can send those also by Discord or email. I will mention he is unavailable on weekends, so this will not be part of the live show on Saturday, though we may play it on the Saturday after it's recorded. Uh, it will be a weeknight live show, kind of like the Game on Challenges. Uh, we haven't got the date firmed up yet. Uh, it, there's a slim chance it might be late next week. I'm guessing it's probably going to be the week after. I've sent him some preliminary questions that I had. Uh, but if you guys have any questions on oh, where Nitrous 9 went from roughly you know, the 2002 to 2012 era, um, please feel free to send stuff. And we did invite some of the other people that were involved in some of that early stuff, but uh, Soren, uh, who helped a lot with the documentation stuff there, he said that's probably something he'd you know, there's nothing really to talk about. And uh, Robert Galt was involved in some of that, but I, I've, I've talked to Robert before because I've tried to get him on the show. And unfortunately, he's out in the boonies somewhere and basically he's got pretty crappy cell phone coverage and that's all he's got for high-speed internet. And he said he could, probably couldn't even do audio. So he, unfortunately, is not able to join. So, But I'm sure uh, Boise will cover some of the stuff they did as well. And and David Ladd, you might actually be able to help us with that because I think you were, were you floating around the community at that point? involved with some of that because i know your name showed up on some of the github and source word stuff there at that time oh, I've, I've dabbled my hand in some things here and there but it wasn't too much okay because i were you more involved in the second decade or the third um I know you've done some stuff with me in the third when we were contributing before Ease of You started, but yeah, it was just just little things. I know I put, um, let's hear what was it? One of the things was a fix for was it getting HDB DOS itself working for um, was it the Becker? And then because the, the routines are shared between Nitrous 9 and uh, HDB DOS for the drive wire stuff. So uh, there were some fixes for that. Um, trying to think of what else there was. There was some, some other stuff. Oh, the deblocking, uh, the boot module for the Super IDE slash Glenside. Oh, where you could break up the OS9 boot instead of having to be contiguous? Well, it, 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 no, the deblocking. It's where the boot module could directly boot off of the Nitrous 9 partition rather than the one that needed a boot from the HDB DOS or RGB DOS section. It's where it would just go straight looking to, for the OS 9 boot file off of the 512-byte sectors instead okay. of... You know, well, well, if you want to check the dates, if that's in that second decade era, I wouldn't mind having you on too. And I, I, hopefully, you're available in the evening to pop in. Uh, if, if not, we'll have you on the third one because we're planning on doing one one show per decade to kind of catch it up to where you know ease of use, which we covered enough in the show, so I won't be covering it during this part. I want to give it the other people that contributed over the last thirty years credit instead of just us. So. No, no problem, Curtis. Just let me know when. And just so you know, David uh, Grant Leedy is in the chat. Says, "Oh my God, David Ladd has a camera." So, no, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, somebody, somebody else was asking a question as well. I don't know if it was Nick or somebody. Uh, or, no. Okay. So, if you're into 3D graphics and you want to see some optimized Microsoft Basic uh, code, there you can give some of the stuff that James has done the last couple of weeks. And I'm not sure if it's if it's him in the chat called Phantom Eight Bitter. He said, I posted another graph program this morning, so there might even be an update to that. 
I know Jim Gary didn't update that. I don't have included in today's news either that uh, well, I'll cover next week uh, just because I didn't have time to really queue it up. Uh, next up, Color Computer Programming, which is the uh, YouTube channel where he's kind of just learning basic as he goes. And uh, he's about a month or two ago, he was asking, you know, what is Peacock before and what is, you know, paging and stuff for? And I, I, and I think a couple of the people had sent him some suggestions and they actually put it to practice here. So he actually does an eight page and he uses P mode one. So he basically has got four screens. He flips just to make it look like a ball's bouncing in a pseudo 3D space. It's fairly simple, but I mean, when you first discover this kind of stuff, and I remember when I first discovered page flipping that you could smooth out the graphics, you don't have to like redraw and clear, and you get this ripply effect and all this kind of stuff here. And he's got it slowed down so you can see it move. You know, it kind of looks like a handball court or something like that. But that that's the kind of things I remember flipping with, or fiddling with. And I remember Rainbow had one where they actually patched the basics. They had a P clear 18, I think, and then they had a spinning 3D umbrella with nine frames of animation or something like that, or 18 frames, I can't remember. It was pretty impressive at the time, so... Glad to see he's learning how that stuff works. Ken, I'm going to mute this one and let you kind of talk about this one here, because this is uh, a part one, actually. Um, yes. Um, okay, so I finally decided to upgrade that uh, sketchy Coco 3 that I picked up at Coco Fest. And uh, it's just gotten sketchier. <laughs> I have... Uh, I mean, I I haven't been doing a lot of soldering for a long time, but I've never had as much trouble as I've had with this board. In the first part, I just had a problem with one trace lifting and a couple others starting to lift. But that's my beginning of the uh, slow descent into madness that this board has caused me. So is this going to be a two-part, or is it even longer? Like, how, how much stuff No, it's two-part. Well, two parts for this part, and then I do still plan on doing some more stuff to this board, but just to do the stuff I wanted to do here is two parts. Which So at this point, were you just trying to fix it because it wasn't working right, or were you doing upgrades and all this? I was or? upgrading it. I did, wanted to replace all the caps because uh, this is the one that didn't work properly at Coco Fest, so with what I figure was probably the bad uh, power sources that we had. Yeah. So I wanted to uh, get all those caps out of there just in case they got damaged. And then I wanted to put it in a 6309. Uh, of course. All I did here was uh, get the uh, caps done and uh, started in on uh, desoldering the 6309. And that's where things really went downhill. <laughs> So, so did, is 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 the worst part of it in part two, or is the worst part? Oh of yeah, it here? the worst part of it is definitely in part two, because there is a lot of things that I'll test them; they'll be working fine. Then I'll try and turn the computer on, and things will just go bad. And things that I just tested are all not working now. I'm <laughs> just I I I don't know. <laughs> Traces are blowing up on me. So this is like your real life Halloween episode where you know everything that can go wrong will and absolutely there's the first trace that came off Ooh. <laughs> and you know it's bad when the hardware experts are going Ooh. <laughs> yeah and i had that thing set down to as low a temperature as i could go and still melt solder and it was still killing the traces now is this like a poorly manufactured board or it had been damaged before or what what the heck i have no idea what uh, temperature were you? Uh, did you have it set at? Um, by the end of it, I was down at about three forty-five. 
What hey, did you start at? Too long. I started at uh, 470 or 370, sorry. Because the yeah. danger is you won't yeah. wet the metal enough and then the trace gets pulled off. Yeah, what you want to do is you want to go higher. I usually set mine to 400 so that it limits the amount of time that I have to put the, uh, the soldering iron on the board to heat it up so that the solder melts. When well, that was lower, the problem when I when I was at uh, 370. I was just touching the solder point, and I could see the trace just pop off the board. Ooh, that's not good. That's, nope. That's <laughs> Before good, I, I even was sucking up the solder, I could watch the trace pop up. Yeah, well, use the soldering iron on the component side and the solder sucker on the on the solder side. I think that, that when works. That, except when I was doing the uh, caps, they were right up against the board, so I couldn't reach the legs on the other side. Yeah, I think when we're at Coco Talk, I mean Coco Fest, we're going to have to uh, get together and uh, give you some skills. Hey, I've done this exact thing on like about ten different computers and never had this much problem. So, except removing chips, I haven't done a lot, but recapping boards, I've done tons of boards already and never had the problems that I've had on this one. And that might be a good seminar, though, actually, for you guys to actually do a hardware like you know soldering yeah. tips and tricks type thing. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, and since yeah, Frank's going to be there this next year, hopefully too, then uh, you guys can actually make it a big panel, like a discussion table type thing. Oh, from uh, British Petroleum. Yeah, but one of the things that you have to also look at is the Coco Three motherboard is also one of the most uh, fragile. Why did Candy uh, do that? Because it was cheaper. <laughs> actually, actually, it's it's not too bad. I've dealt with worse. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely uh, something because. I mean, I've done multiple Coco 3s and not had that problem. So we're, we'll have to go over done, and watch what you're I've, doing. Like I did this to my other Coco 3, never had a single problem with it. Um, I've done yeah. it to the Coco 1s, Coco, both Coco 1s that I have. Or no, just one of the Coco 1s, the Coco 2. Uh, many VIC 20s, Commodore 64s, uh, Timex, or not Timex, um, TI-99s. And I've never had this much problems. So we we do have some uh, recommendations from Frank of, of Retro Rewind Two in the chat. He said lots and lots of flux. Then add even more flux. <laughs> yep. And they said it might not have been hot enough, which is kind of what Sloopy's saying too. That they actually maybe to heat it up yeah. faster. So so I should maybe go chance. the other direction. I had a question for Ken. Okay. Um, how much solder did you get in your hair? None. I've never had even solder in my hair. It's 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 the soldering iron in my hair that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, I would recommend you uh, skip uh, putting the soldering iron in your hair. Yeah, uh, it's a good way to, you know, trim a little off. If you, you know, want a unique ear, hairstyle, get, get rid of that ear hair. It's a great tool for getting rid <laughs> yeah, of ear hair. Stick a hot soldering iron in my ear. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> on an unrelated note, I don't want to comment on why I don't have hair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> years of practice. Um, got a couple other comments kind of related to this as well. Uh, Mark Siegel says that was the technology at the time. Um, yeah. And Fred Pravanja says, Ken, bring the board to Coco Fest. Maybe someone there can help out. I'm planning to bring my two dead Cocos as well to have them checked out. Now, you did actually have this this board in particular at Coco Fest. You were trying to run that Coco. Yeah. yeah. But Although, most of the problems we were having was power because my Coco was acting up too until I moved it to a different room. And then all of a sudden it was working fine again. So Don't worry. This, this Coco is... Uh, Part two is ready to go out, so. Um, I, I will ask one slightly spoilery thing. How much time did you put into getting this thing up and running again? 
Okay, well, if you actually watch this video, you'll also see that in the process of doing this, um, my microphone broke, my camera broke, my soldering iron broke, I ran out of a bunch of supplies. The season's changed. Yeah, the season's changed. I, I worked on this video for just over a month now. Wow. You have way more patience than I have. Well, a lot of it was just uh, I had to order some new parts and and yes, uh, I am ordering a actual desoldering tool for the future. Okay. A uh, question from Mark Siegel. He says, "Are you using an RF solder iron?" I don't even know what that is. I don't either. Me either. Me neither. Maybe a, a really, really correct thing. Usually really fine one. temperature controlled, but I don't recognize RF. Radio frequency? Uh, really fine. That's it. <laughs> really fluxy. And he says Metcal to clarify. I don't know what that is either. It didn't help. That's what Robert, or sorry, that's what Richard Lorbieski uses, a Metcal. Oh, what is that? Yeah. It's a brand, a brand of soldering station. Oh, it's a brand. Okay. And then Rick snuck in a comment there because he didn't pipe up on the panel. He said, a power sucker don't, don't hurt. <laughs> if he's communicating with us, he should just come on the show. Oh, <laughs> don't Ooh. see me. Am I talking? Ooh. Ooh. Oh, there you are. I hear you now, Rick. Hmm. Yes, don't worry. I'm going to get a uh, solder sucker, Rick. All right, a power solder sucker. Yes. Mark's saying that the, the Metcal is RF-based. Uh, Frank says he's never heard of RF either. And Brian Weasler says, kudos for trying to save a cocoa, which I think, spoiler, I think you did actually get it up and running again. So. Yeah, actually, my big test was so the, this... uh, just just a spoiler alert, I was actually playing on the other co on this cocoa during the live broadcast the other day as my big test to see if everything was if working last. properly. <laughs> so can I make the supposition here that RF um, solder stations are the reason why the new ones hold their temperature so nicely despite not having any actual weight in uh -huh. the itself. So it's always, you know, you said it at, uh, you know, 370, it's always 370. It's never 350, it's never 380, it's 370. So, I don't know. Okay. Maybe that's how they do it. So, no, mine's not a very new solder iron, so... I, I, you just like you said, like you're coming up on Halloween. You know, we were doing horror games all all month, and then yeah. everything for you went wrong. Cameras and not yep. just the cocoa upgrade, but you know, everything else went wrong for you too. So yeah, this was truly, and and I still have the camera issues that it happens throughout the second episode too. But if you watch this episode, you'll know that on the soldering iron, I did a Taylor and Amy fix, where I took it apart, couldn't see anything wrong with it, put it back together, and now it works perfect. <laughs> Did you have any screws left over? Uh, no, but I had a bunch of wires left over. I don't know what they were for, but yeah, because I know that when I'd pull stuff apart when I was younger and put it back together, I'd have screws left over, and I'd say that's why it didn't work. It had too many screws in it. <laughs> no, I, I no nothing left over. It's back together. Haven't had a problem with it since, and I've used it probably another twenty or thirty hours since then. Okay, I have one final question on the curse here. Was this happening around the same time when you guys tried to stream the game on Live Challenge and that 
blew up to a couple weeks ago. Was that was around the same Why, time? Like, yes, is this really yes, a curse? It, was. it really was, was a curse then. That was while I was right in the middle of filming that. <laughs> it was all your fault. Oh, good. Well, just stay away from my box here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was it was a pretty interesting video to watch this. And then from the sounds of it, it even gets worse in, in part two. So uh, look forward to that coming It's just basically soon. a lot of questioning my own sanity in part two because <laughs> I'll test something, try it, test it again. It's Now it's not working. And I'm like, I did test that, didn't I? So going um, back while I was editing it, I'm like, yes, there, I did test it. I saw it. <laughs> you actually you actually questioned your sanity? I didn't know that your question was even in the running. <laughs> question it more, I guess. And, and once again, this this it just further cements why I don't do hardware. I question my sanity enough with this software. Uh, next up, we have Taylor and Amy, and they actually upgraded their Coco 2 to a 6 or 9. I think they used James's thing to do some uh, Mandelbrot tests. There's also a leaf pattern. Um, but as usual, they do it in the most entertaining way possible. Uh, now, for those of you who have ever tried running the Mandelbrot set, programs in basic on the coco one two or three for that matter they're slow they take hours and hours um this is emphasized by their video here so i'll give a little bit of a spoiler i won't play the final scene because you'll have to watch it for that but it's hilarious a lot of us were laughing out loud watching this but i'll, I'll show you a little bit here when they start running the fractal for the first time after putting six three nine and it's running there it goes so we'll um We'll just pause this for a bit till it finishes. Yeah. And you can maybe, I don't know if you can quite see it here in the video, but there's a little bit of an orange there and a little bit of a blue there. So it's slowly drawing the fractal. And as the map gets more complex on the center parts, it slows down even more. So that'll give you kind of a hint of how long it takes. Though they give a much better hint than I could ever give. Oh, oh. It's zipping right along. I don't know. We'll be right back. A couple seconds. We'll be right back when it's done. All right, here we go. Boop. Well, it finished. What? It finished. The fractal finished. Taylor. Taylor. Oh. The fractal is done. What? The fraggle rock? Turn the camera in and they can see it. Okay. Fractal. That was fast. It was so fast. <laughs> now, when they built this computer. Yeah, I'll let you watch the rest of it there. They go into a little bit of history of the six or nine, and then they actually, you know, run it again with some optimized code which is still not that much faster so the 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 very ending is definitely worth the wait that's all i can tell you it's a good thing they didn't use a 6502 or though you would have been dead <laughs> that's true <laughs> anyway it's a it's a hilarious video but it also like teaches you stuff and they did the 639 upgrade on the coco one and two which is actually something ken covered recently is it worthwhile doing so and i I'm, I'm with Ken on saying yes, because there's multiple games. Nitrous 9 itself does run noticeably faster. Um, and I Although just sent, I, to, I did, I did uh, sent Ken some uh, base 9 code to do this exact same fractal here, which I'll... Uh, it was see interesting that, that I on uh, Reddit, I got a few uh, comments of people saying, no, not worth it at all. Why do it? Oh, really? Yeah. And who were these morons? I don't know. <laughs> It's a hint on um, upcoming video too on uh, answering some of those uh, quest those things that people said. 
that it's not worth it. And it's only worth it if you're a software developer or you're specifically developing something for the 6309. No, I, I would just do it for just for the low heat, lower power consumption, to be honest. Basically me too. That's, that was my conclusion. So, and if you're like, if you're into anything under nitrous nine level one, um, the whole loss is sped up some parts of it drastically. Um, so it's, it's worth it. A- anything that runs in OS 9 runs faster on it. At least 10, 15%, some up to like 100, 150%. So I don't, I don't agree with that at all. And there's like we mentioned before, there's half a dozen games now that are optimized too and more coming. So yeah. And now that understand. Taylor and Amy have one, they can bug you lots more for uh, optimizing more games. <laughs> Well, a few people have been bugging me about that. So, but they keep picking weird ones that not too many people play, like you know, Flight Sim One or something like that, which is, I think, a very niche market type thing. Maybe definitely could use it, obviously, but because uh, a lot of math in there. But yeah, I'll, I'll get back to. It. I've got a few kind of picked out that I'd like to try, but I want to try to get you know ease of use out, and then I've got to get back to Petsky and documentation and all kinds of other crap too. So, and by that time, it'll be like Coco Fest, and I'll have to be getting a seminar ready. So. Hey, really good video in the spirit of Halloween, in the spirit of the Coco, in the spirit of six through nine, and just a lot of fun to watch. Even the comments section kind of joined in too, because they do mention like you know because they're so old after running these tests now that you uh, that you have to shout to make sure your caps lock's on in the comments, and people actually did do that, including me and Ken. So even the comment section's hilarious. Uh, hey, there's a uh, article or a uh, news. Uh announcement in the chat from AC. Oh. Yeah, I was going to wait until... Uh... Yeah, like Jim Gary has an, a, a new one that came in this morning too, but now that we're doing the cutoff for the news, and if you guys are wondering why I usually wait until the morning to, to publish the news, this is why. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it'll be on next week's news, but we're doing the cutoff on Friday nights now just to give people time to go through those topics on the panel and see if there's anything discussed, which so far nobody's ever actually brought a discussion up. So maybe this is pointless. I don't know. Uh, but, wait, until uh, the, wait until the project updates and acquisitions section. Okay. Yeah. And AC, if you're available, like if you're able to come online, why don't you want to pop on and you can talk about it in person? He's not in front of his computer. He said, Oh, okay. I see Brian Walsh says no purist would use a six through nine and a Coco two heat is vintage. <laughs> yeah talk to ken soldering iron about that yeah how do i keep how would i keep my house warm if i used a hitachi well you could get an old tube guitar amp that works well too just use the old 512 upgrade it keeps everything warm even <laughs> yeah, 6309 the original tandy one yeah for sure and confirm <laughs> you just up three cocos with 6309 yeah all right, uh, Jim Gary did release another thing this morning. He actually emailed me directly about it. Uh, I, I think he released it, uh, or maybe he hasn't quite yet, or is about to, but I, I'll save it for next week. This one here was how to pilot a TIE fighter on an MC-10, which is just kind of playing around with some routines to move a little text-based TIE fighter on the screen. Now, you'll notice there's a bunch of peaks in here. So because the, key, the uh, MC-10 does not have a joystick by default, everything's keyboard. Uh, basic, if you're using in key, will read a key, and then you have to press it again if you want it to read another key. So if you want to move left four times, you have to tap it four times. The peaks he's using here, which you can actually look on that intro screen, basically lets you do key repeat on MC10, which is demonstrating here on moving his little TIE fighter around. So if you have a game that, you know, key repeat would make more sense than having to tap the key for certain things, 
you can actually take that routine you did here and actually take a look at it and uh, use it in your own code. And that's exactly what this is doing here. It's basically, you know, reading the PIA or maybe the basic copies of the keyboard rollover table. I didn't take a close look to figure out exactly which way it's doing it. But basically, it's allowing you to do key repeat in basic. So if you want to write a game that requires key repeat and you don't know how to do it, this is a perfect, it's an educational thing. And we'll cover his, uh, new, his uh, new game port next week. Okay, next up we've got Julian Brown. He's been working on, uh, basically like Pedro is, he's been reverse engineering the Dragon 32 motherboard so that they can be reproduced uh, with modern uh, times and also with a few minor updates to components, you know, because some stuff's really hard to find, kind of like uh, Pedro did a replacement for the salt chip. So we had a couple of updates here. Uh, the first one here is talking about the uh, cassette motor relay footprint is reversed. And he said it's testable in the state. Unfortunately, it doesn't mean that he needs to at least do one more board revision. He actually ordered five boards because he thought he had it kind of nailed down. And then when he got them, he noticed that the pinouts are reversed here on the cassette relay. So he has to kind of flip it around. So he's just kind of giving an update there. And then he did another update slightly later, um, talking about uh, a company called EDAC. The edge connector with mounting point lugs has never been produced for the European market. There are no distributors for it. And he had kind of looked into this before, and it was hugely expensive to get this part. But he said, however, they are willing to make batches of only 50, a minimum order of 200 pounds, which works out to about four pounds per connector. Now, the previous quote he had was 12 pounds. So this is cutting the price down two thirds, which is actually getting to the affordable range. He said the lead time is a bit painful, 10 to 12 weeks, but all very positive because they'll do a small batch and it's way cheaper than the original quote. So this actually will help him get the Dragon 32 uh, replacement boards out. Um, I don't know if he's planning on manufacturing a ton of these himself. The fact he's been ordering little batches, I'm assuming he at least will do some, but he also is planning on getting, you know, Gerber files and stuff up for people to use, which is cool. And actually there's more on Gerber files, two stories from now. Uh, next up, the retro game show. I probably should have put this in the game section, but he actually had some sets he was covering here that are not games. So it's kind of a hodgepodge. We covered him before. Um, he's the one of the over-exuberant YouTubers. Um, but he's based on his original retro gaming web page, which has been around since the 90s. So he's been a long time into the retro, and he covers all kinds of systems. But uh, he was kind of going through a bunch of stuff that got sent to him because he you know, asks people to send him stuff so he can actually talk about it on the show. And somebody sent him a whole whack load of Dragon tapes, mostly games. And he's got some of the, the original cassettes. He's got some of the, the big VHS cases like Richard was showing earlier at the Dragon meetup and a bunch of others in between. I'll lower the volume on him because, he, like I said, he gets a bit over exuberant. But uh, a, lot, a lot of good stuff. And he says he's got some fairly rare ones because, as, as we know from the MicroDeal page from Chris Poacher, there's various versions of all these different cassettes. No, then. That's what I'm talking about. Password a little bit. Um, moving on. You know, we talk about Star Trek ripoffs being prevalent on the Dragon, particularly. <laughs> like, they're Star Trek mad, those Welsh guys. Um, Star Trek, man. And uh, separate manual. The PSS did this with a, a plastic case inside, a separate manual. That looks nothing like. Actually, he went through like quite a few cassettes here, and he's got some utilities. He's got some, uh, you know, not quite business software, but serious software, and he's got mostly games and. Uh, he covers some of the companies that did stuff for multiple platforms in the UK. He does some that were strictly Dragon. So it's a good hodgepodge, a good mixture of stuff here. And it goes on for you know multiple minutes. So 
if you guys want to see some of the artwork and stuff on some of the different dragon things from different eras, like there was the very early stuff that was very primitive, more like the North American market up to the nice full color paintings, et cetera. And now he mentions in here, and I can't vouch for this because I don't know the UK market well enough, but he says he's got a few that are, are fairly rare. And if some of the dragon people watching this can actually check this out, let me know if that's actually true. Um, like somebody like Chris Poacher, especially if it's a micro deal thing, obviously he knows that like the back of his hand, but I'd be kind of curious how rare some of these actually are in the dragon community in the UK. So, but if you're into uh, some of the original artwork and stuff, there's a lot of cool stuff in here. And he goes through, I don't know, probably about 20 or 30 different pieces of software. This guy is like a 12 year old stuck in a 50 year old body. Yeah. He, he reminds me, there was a guy in the States that was kind of like this too, with a big bushy beard. I'm trying to remember his name. We covered him like last year. He's not quite as over the top as this. So he, he, he has his moments. Yeah. And that's just like some people really like that, I guess, on YouTube, because actually they're pretty popular, some of these people. So I guess it's just, you know, different presentations for different folks. I just slaughter my hair live. That's all I do. So well, you're not going to change up your ways, right? No, no, no. <laughs> I'd have to be awake to do that kind of over exuberance. So. <laughs> and my last story for today. So Dragon Plus Electronics, we were talking with Richard that uh, John Whitworth, the guy who runs Dragon Plus Electronics, um, is going in for his uh, second round of treatment for leukemia, stem cell, which I'm a bit familiar with because my uncle went through that with my mom donating stem cells for him. And it actually worked for him. He lived, lived 10 years after that. So hope uh, the best for John. But one thing, he knew he was going to be away from being able to do anything. And we talked about it last week. He's actually not taking any orders for the next month or two until he's recovered from his treatment. Because <clears throat> he'll, you know, I'd be unable to manufacture anything anyway. So one thing he did here is he's actually put up all of the Gerber files and, you know, documentation on the pals and gals, the GoTech disk images they got off Duncan Smead and others there with the actual software that was developed for the Dragon Beta. And that's the business system that had the MMU and dual 6809s and the both running at two megahertz and all kinds of stuff that Richard showed us, you know, at the show. But this has all those files there. So now they're out in the public. Uh, if anybody wants to take a look at them and, and take a look at the details, there you go. And he kind of gives a nice little, you know, rundown of exactly what everybody's been working on. And he mentions Mike Miller, the guy that's been helping with this, one of the guys, along with Richard Harding, who we had on the show, but Mike's the guy who got the high score in Ghost Rush too. So obviously he's a multi-skilled individual because he can do all this hardware reverse engineering stuff. Plus he's really good at playing games, which means I'm je jealous as hell. Um, but yeah, they kind of go through it here and they're they're basically trying to duplicate that board, which is actually now is booted up and running as they showed the show here today. And uh, for any of you winched in the hardware uh, of what, what was going into the Dragon Beta, this is looks like a really good one. There's whole folders of stuff here and I don't understand Gerbers, but you hardware guys, uh, I expect a full report next week. Uh, Paul Barton uh, used to tell me that he had a bunch of Gerber files, but um, he says that they're um, obsolete now. No, I still use them all the time. This is yeah, but you good. can't really. You have to have software to read them, right? Well, and, this you can send Gerber files to like JLC, and they will send you back circuit boards. This is. It's like it's almost like a drafting schematic or something. It's, it's, Gerber, it's like Gerber you, and Exelon are the standard formats for making. Yeah, so Gerber, if it was if it was three D printing, you would have the source, and then you would make an STL file, and then you would make a G code file to go to the printer. The Gerber is the equivalent of the G code file. It's printer ready. You can't change it. You need to have the source to make any more changes. But with this Gerber file, you're ready to print. So or, you know, essentially make holes and sort make stuff. Yeah. 
So, so it's part of the, it's it's like one of the last stages of the manufacturing process before actual manufacturing start starts. Exactly. You could send this off to someone on like a circuit board. You don't need to know anything about the circuit or any of that. You just give them this and so it's like a company like PCB Way that like Ken has as a sponsor and Amy Taylor, I think of occasionally as a sponsor. That is that what you send them type yes. thing to make yes. exactly. Well, maybe he's talking about editing them. Well, yeah, to edit stuff, the Gerbers won't help you. Those that's like you've got the G code file, you can make the part, but you can't edit it because you don't have the source to to change anything. You just have the output of that. Yeah, so okay. he must have been talking about that. Yeah, and that makes sense because it's it, it's almost like a PAL. Like once you've coded it and you burned it in, you can't change it afterwards, kind of thing, right? My right. You don't know what's in there, so how would you change it? <laughs> you've got the output, but you don't know what caused that output, so yeah. you can't. You know, it's like okay, you'd have to disassemble it. Different schematic <laughs> capture programs use different yeah, formats I, for storing the data. Any, I don't know of any G code disassemblers, but. Uh, I suppose it's theoretically possible. Yeah, Frank. Frank said it's it's G code and drill files. Yeah, Exelon is the drill file format. And then Mark says there are some caveats with Gerber files. So, is there an alternate standard for that kind of thing too, or or is not that anymore? A thing? Gerber and Exelon are the standard formats that all the manufacturers use. All the PC board manufacturers. So everybody's program, no matter whether it's uh, well, was it Altera or was it uh, um, um, Eagle or KiCad, they're all going to output Gerber and Exelon. Okay. Asparagus. <laughs> yeah. I'll just add Frank's comment. He said, it's just a language that is used to manufacture PCBs. That's it. It's not for designing them. It's just for manufacturing. And that is the end of my news for today. Cool. What's next? Mm, acquisitions and updates. Okay, I share screen. Well, okay, we do the we could do the Ron's Garage. Well, you know, yeah, we should. I have a new logo now. I probably should send somebody a, a new song to put with the new logo. Yeah. Go ahead. Whatever. Oh, that didn't work. Um, where is it in my list? You know, I can't find it. Go ahead, Ron. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the hell, I can't find it. <laughs> I, I think Stevie's new uh, OBS is missing something. Going. That's that's your new logo. This is 6809 there, digitized, sort of. Now, what happened? It completely flipped off. Huh. Okay. I hate when that happens, when you get we'll, flipped off. We'll play. We'll play. All right, this is uh, Number Jack. I have two of them. I had two of them. I gave one to a, a friend. But um, it's an interesting little uh, device that added to your cocoa the ability to do the numbers, you know, off to the side. This yeah, never keypad like for and HGL, the company that makes this actually made one of the best replacement keyboards, HGL fifty seven too. You kind of could buy this as a combo pack. Yeah, and the neat thing about it is, um, 
there's no mention of it anywhere except the the Rainbow Magazine. It's like it wasn't very popular or whatever. And how I wound up with two is crazy. I, I got it in a lot. I, I remember seeing them at the fest when they were selling the HL fifty seven keyboards. I do remember seeing them. I do remember seeing people buy them. I didn't like. I'm not an accountant. I don't really need a number keypad yeah, per se. That's kind of what you need it for, right? Inputting numbers. Yeah. And, and you can see this has got the old cursor key layout, so your arrows are all jammed together in a row, and that's kind of awkward for games, so you wouldn't use it for that. Um, pretty interesting. It's very light, and um, it has... Now, where, uh, where does it plug in? It has a uh, jack on the side. Here, I'll show you. See right there? It takes a ribbon yeah. cable. And where does uh, where does the ribbon cable plug in on the Cocoa side? I have no clue. I do not know. Because I, I was trying to figure out how that would work, because the the keyboard is its own wired, you know, matrixy thing. You'd have to have a splitter where the I, keyboard plugs in. Well, I'm right. thinking it might have went into the serial port, the big banger, and had no. the software for it. Too many pins. That's about the right number of pins to wire it into the keyboard connector itself. On the do, you have, do you have a manual for it, Ron, anywhere? No. Because nope. I honestly, like, I have seen these things in action, but I, honestly, I don't remember where the heck it plugged in at all. Yeah, that's the right number of pins because the the numbers are all in columns and then they're all in one row. Well, two oh, rows. Yeah. And so know, add yeah. it all up. That's the shift cool. of the numbers match the cocoa keyboard. Yeah, so you kind of figured tie into the regular cocoa keyboard, so the PIA would just read it as if it's just regular keys. Right. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Because I mean, right. having drawn a keyboard, and that's about the right number of lines to do that part of a keyboard. Yeah. Um, if anybody's interested, I'm I'm interested in trading my the one I have for a um, uh, MC X32 for the MC10. Uh, MC10, yeah, I'd like to have one. And since it's like real rare, it's probably worth it. Anyway, uh, who who doesn't like that movie, Bullet? And now I've done it on high color for the color computer and for uh, a VG6 image. Came out pretty good. Not too bad. And then I uh, have this plug-in power appliance unit and light unit and I hooked it up to our um, system, you know, in the house. Uh, by plugging it in, it's plugged in, it's made into the system <laughs> and you have these little x10 modules and uh this makes it so that you can control it without the color computer hooked to it you program it with the color computer with a graphical interface and it doesn't work on a coco 3 the screen doesn't come up properly because the mode of uh, graphics or whatever oh semi-graphics higher yeah. semi-graphics mode yeah exactly so <clears throat> but this does work um i have uh couple of lights working um, on this thing. And then this is our um, uh, fountain in the front yard. We, my wife just picked it up. She goes, I wonder if we can have it so it goes on and off. I said, yes, I got the solution. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you look on the uh, diagram uh, on the Coco 2, when you, uh, it, it has for a sprinkler in the front yard. <laughs> so oh, okay. it worked perfect for that. Yeah. So it's, it's programmed. And it so for the, for those people these days that are used to getting like smart bulbs and stuff where you can like change the color and everything else, you know, this is a really early precursor to that. 
Yeah. Exactly. Control lights and, and, and appliances. Two, two kinds of uh, uh, controller uh, units, you know, like this one up here. And you can set different codes so that it can be accessed separately. And um, this one happens to be a lamp module. They have an appliance module. And I think the difference is uh, the amperage range, you know. Cause or, or does the lamp module also dim? Well, the lamp module has just two, um, you know, they're, for, in. they're for resistive uh, loads and inductive loads. There you you can still buy X10 okay. modules yeah. really commonly. So if you have one of these plug-in powers, you can use it. You can get the modules everywhere. Right. So for people that don't know, like me, the X10 is what? It What's communicates over power lines. So yeah. So it's it's specific problem is if you have a complicated electrical system where you've got split AC and so forth, the X10 won't make it across the split. That was always its problem. But for an average house, it works fine and it's cheap. And it works in ours. See, this uh, lamp module has two um, plugins, you know, for a regular plug. The third one is available on the um, appliance module. Now, why there's a difference, maybe you guys could tell me that. Because I would have thought the appliance module would be more of a relay-driven on-off, whereas the lamp well, module it, more it, resistive, it, like triax or something. It seriously, it seriously is. The lamp module is for resistive loads, and the appliance module is for inductive loads. It's right. much more complicated to switch a motor than a lamp. Right. And um, the lamp module has, has the ability to uh, come on at different um, brightnesses. So it does have a dimming. Yeah, it has a dimming. You can set it to. Like fifty percent, if I remember. Anyway, and Mark Siegel in the chat says I still use X10 in my house, so that's still a standard that's used, you know, forty years later. Yeah. So my my wife thought it was pretty, you know, worthwhile. One of the few things that she thinks the color <laughs> outside of taking space, you know, and taking my time, that this is actually working for us now. See. The so is that an excuse for you to buy more then? Is that, uh, does that work the way? Or? Well, it's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Mark. Uh, um, I have an old uh, IBM PC I got um, at an estate sale or, some, or something. And this is it here, sitting here. And um, the cool thing is my wife has a program that does st st statistics for her uh, work. And she needed a, a pro uh, computer that was running um, Windows 95 i think it is and so this one had it and it was fairly fast and it has usb on it and stuff so i hooked it up for her in her room and she did the statistics program and actually um published a paper because of this machine so i thought that was cool that's one thing and the other thing is um i got a bunch of tandy 1000 programs and stuff and i played you know played with some and put them on I'm, 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 I can't talk. Are you coming? <laughs> I can't talk. I can't see you. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. She's Not that anybody on the stream saw that, but. <laughs> really? So here, here's, um, you know, some of the games. I just quickly took pictures. A lot of the stuff plays on the uh, machine with no problem. They're not the best pictures, but. You know, some of these you, you may have seen or played before or something. King's Quest. Anyway. There it is. And um, I also put uh, BCC on it. 
and uh, had it going. I don't think I showed it, but it, it did make a nice picture. Anyway, here's um, a Halloween picture on v on um, Coco um, uh, VGA VG6 picture came out make neat, and that's you know 128 by 96, very low res. But when you stand back, dang, look at it. It looks pretty good, don't it? Color saturation is excellent. I threw, I threw the number jack there, too, for any of you people out there that may want to trade for one of those MC things. <laughs> and, oh, here, here's a picture um, of uh, VCC on that little monitor. It looked, came out really nice. All right, so let's see what else. Uh, uh, every, occasionally, I pull out one of my machines and fire them up, make sure they still work, and they don't produce smoke. And this is my 4P. And it works really nice. And uh, um, the text is super fine, clean. Um, I don't know if it has a high-res board, what they call a high-res board in it or not, but it's it's just really sharp. Maybe because it's <laughs> such a small screen. Well, and it's monochrome, monochrome, so it can be sharp. Yeah. yeah. It has a higher dot pitch because you don't have a mask. Yeah. And then here's a Model 4. I have two of these. I had that up and running. And the TC logo. Did you see a while back? I, po I posted on uh, my um, Ron's Garage that uh, there's only a couple of um, software pieces that has the TC logo in it on the Coco. And I. Uh, yeah, MultiView being one because that's the Tandy menu. Right. Yeah. And then here's a scan I did of um, the poster. I don't know if you've ever seen that poster where they spelled palette wrong on it. <laughs> right from candy and then I did uh, a large uh, reptile <laughs> anyway like um, Mr. Overholsley's wife said I've been doing lots of stuff on my cocoa unlike cool uh, stuff yeah and this this happens to be a, uh, I, I was reading something and they said the blue light from the computer is bad for you and here everybody boots up on a Commodore in blue light they should get rid of it and get a cocoa, right? What what it is is the blue light makes you think it's daylight. So if you're doing stuff late at night, it keeps you up, keeps you from going to sleep. Well, according to my um, optician or whatever, it actually affects the um, molecules and stuff in your eye. So there's an actual physical thing going on. That's about it, guys. Nuclear uh, green. My doesn't... Buffalo Bills are doing great. <laughs> so I post a lot of stuff on there. And then this is me looking through my telescope. This uh, wasn't the best picture to use, but it was dark. So anyway, that's it, guys. Thank you for um, allowing me to show the crap I do all the time. The, the number jack's cool. I, I would really like to see how that hooks up. Yeah, somebody's going to get it and do it. It ain't going to be me. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a hardware guy. Uh, has anybody checked the archive to see if the manual's up there? If somebody maybe uploaded it? I, I didn't look. Hey, why don't we ask Brian? Do you got one? <laughs> Brian Wiesner wants one. Here he is. <laughs> I want one. I just want. I just don't have what he wants to trade. That's right. So. You have what I want, but you don't want. Are to you sure it's not in one of your shipping containers somewhere? <laughs> no, I, I own, I own one M, uh, one uh, MCX for my for uh, my one and only MC10. So. That's the only one I got, unfortunately. 
That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> and hint. <laughs> Unfortunately, getting the MCX is hard right now because it's Ed missing Snyder chips. He's going to start making stuff again soon. I, I talked to him just briefly uh, yesterday. And, uh, you know, he's been behind, he says, but he's going to make everything, he said, soon. Yeah, because he was getting short on chips on certain things. So maybe he finally got some chips in to be maybe. cool. Like a Gimme X that a lot of people have been asking about. Oh, yeah. Right. Cool. Anybody else have any project updates or acquisitions? Since we have a few people that just joined the uh, panel, I'm guessing Brian probably has something. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yep. And Sloopy does as well. Okay. I'm Brian sure Sloopy's would be shocked. shorter. So let's save Brian for last. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. This is my brother, but he's not an acquisition. Hey. <laughs> this is my youngest brother. Are you saying he's an acquired taste, Sloopy? Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> he he was extra expensive. I was FedEx. <laughs> he was now, the he last was, one. Yeah, he was born uh, seven weeks premature, so we had to... Um, I actually had to go to the hospital and get training so that um, I could actually babysit him when he was a baby. But... No, he... Uh, Is he pretty much all on his own now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, 35, 36, 35, 35. <laughs> yeah, he's 35. He uh, he lives about five miles away. He's uh, he's did a professional he uh, licensed electrician. Did he ever cocoa? <laughs> no, he did not. Hmm. But to be more uh, cocoa on topic, I got a box that uh, came while we were having the show. And... It's probably Let's... not a number jack, is it? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Wouldn't it be something, though, would it? Yes. Let's open the box real quick so we don't have Drum a six-hour please. Show. What kind of electrician is your brother? Commercial. Oh, houses and stuff? High voltage, low voltage? I mean, you know, I, uh, all houses. of it. Yeah. I do. I do everything from the ground up. Yeah, he's fully licensed. He can do everything. You ever install an X10 system? Uh, which one? <laughs> <laughs> he he was born in '87. Oh, okay. My son is born in '85, so right behind. Yeah. Him. So you yeah, um, he was born in '87. My sister was '86, and my other brother was '80. Oof, I didn't cut that enough. How, sorry, haven't I you got the you, thing open yet? You played Nintendo. He's special. He's trying hard not to cut himself. Yeah. Yeah. Soldering irons, I'm good. La uh, razor blades, not so much. Your brother probably has skills with that. Hmm. <laughs> we have... Looks like retail packaging. Yeah. We have a uh, HDMI cable. Hmm. And another HDMI cable. Oh, is this so what, thing, could, uh, what could possibly be a cable? Does this thing have an Australian name to it? No, it does not. Which, speaking of which, I did get something last week. I got a cable. Ah, I which, recognize those. Yep. Uh, Cocoman.biz. Excellent uh, 
That's that's a dual product. RGB monitor cable, or yes, it is. Yeah, the splitter. It's and a wallaby. Yes, it's a wallaby. I got uh, RCA jacks. So you lied. There was something in there from Australian. <laughs> and a. It was last week. CH three forty one mini programmer. Ah. And a piece of styrofoam. And two packages. <clears throat> but we will just open only one because they're both the same. Uh, put fanfare music here. And we have a board. And what kind of board is it? This. Yeah, okay. 6847P. Is it Coco DV? That's from AC's 8 bit zone, Alan, right? Yep. And I got yeah. serial number eight. And that outputs VGA or what? No, it uh, HDMI, a oh. digital video. Yeah, because isn't like copyrights and such require yeah, you to yeah. say digital? Not so for those not not familiar with the Coco DV, um, do you want to explain exactly what this board does for you? Yes, what this does is you put it in your uh, Coco, uh, one, two, three, and uh, in the VDG slot. In the uh, you put it, you uh, pull your VDG out. You put this in the VDG VDG uh, um, socket, and you put the VDG in here, and then it gives you HDMI. Uh, Output. A digital video. Yep. A digital video. My bad. And I have serial number nine. Cool. I, I've got two because I was talking to AC and I'm going to try and put one of these into my MC10. So you're, you're just, uh, you have insurance in case the smoke comes out? <laughs> um, you probably know somebody can fix it. <laughs> I do not have insurance, but hey, it wouldn't be the first time I've made the magic smoke come out. <laughs> that is, that is, did you say this will work with the Coco 3? Um, I think that's what he said. No. It can't, it, it can't if it's using a VDG. There's no VDG in the Coco uh, 3. No, yeah. it can't use a Coco 3. I'm not thinking. Sorry. Uh oh, you lost okay. your backup. You're making a funny twitch now. There's no one to pull you away from the current. Yeah, we went over his head. He doesn't understand. He's a, he's more of a uh, a uh, a low low uh, industrial, uh, yeah, low cycle uh, analog kind of guy, not uh, digital. Sixty hertz is his friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll he'll go up to uh, kilovolt uh, voltages, but he won't go over uh, sixty hertz. <laughs> Yeah, he's not exactly a uh, high-watt bulb. <laughs> Throw your brother under the bus. Really? Hey, I'm the oldest brother. Of course I've got to torment them. Throw your brother under the bus day here on Coco Talk. <laughs> he's going to come and, at you with a couple of alligator clips. And it would have to be a pretty <laughs> large a pretty large bus because he's a pretty large person. Oh, that's cool. You got one of them. You have to, you have to like plug it yep. in, give it a shot, and give it kind of give us a review next week here. Yeah, yeah originally it was supposed to come yesterday, 
and I was going to have it set up so that you could see it. But uh, unfortunately, uh, USPS does what it does best. And it didn't come until about uh, half an hour, 45 minutes ago. That works good, though, because like this week we had the dragon, you know, thing. And uh, next week we don't have anything special, I don't believe. And the week after that, we have the Brazilian retro show with the CP hunters and stuff. So you're sneaking yeah. it in when there's extra time to show it off next week. So that actually works out good. Yeah, um, which if he still has more available, so contact him on Discord. I think he said he was almost sold out. He had to make another batch or something, didn't he? Yes, he has to make another batch. He still has a couple left. Um, What do they run? They are 120 plus shipping. And his email is ac8, the number, bitzone at gmail.com. Now, we have a comment from Phantom 8-Bitter, which I believe is James Diffendaffer. He said the VDG is soldered into the MC-10, so you'll have to have some soldering skills to put a socket in. Is that correct? Um, On a stock MC-10, I'm assuming like your brother's modified. But... I have no idea off the top of my head, but what I can do is grab my MC-10 right here. I think why it is. Why couldn't you just piggyback it and weld all those feet on? <laughs> you probably couldn't put the case back on afterwards if you did that. Um, yeah, it's going to need a uh, riser, um, just like the um, the Coco VGA does. Um, it's also going to need some modifications because he didn't really consider the MC10 when he was building the board. Um, so the board, the the VDG and the co- in the in the uh, MC10 is like right here, and that board goes off to the right, so it's going to go over top. Well, we go into where the um, where the RF modulator is and where the heat sink for the 7805 is. So, so you might have to make a different versions to push everything yeah. over. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. I'm going to have to do. Yeah. I, he and I were, t- were discussing it at length um, through uh, email. And but for now it's, it's a great, great solution for a Coco one or two. If you want to get it onto an HDMI yeah. TV. With yeah, it's absolutely. If you have a Coco one or two, it's a great, solution considering that other solutions are currently not available because of chip shortages and because he's made it recently he was able to design it using chips that are not in uh not on on obtaining yes that are not in significant uh um currently available yeah that are not or on the significant weight uh waiting and here we have it open and it's here's the VDG, which it goes let's see here. Yeah. And yeah. So it would go like this. So it's hitting the RF cam. Yeah. So it's it's going right through the uh heat sink for the 7805. And going into the RF can because it would be yeah. yeah the RF can wouldn't be that big of an issue because if you're hooking it up to HDMI, why do you need the right. RF, right? But right. if it's you going through the it. heat sink, that's a different story. Yeah, and it also covers the uh, the uh, uh, keyboard connector a little bit, but that's something that's easy to take care of. Also, I mean, the big thing is is the the heat sink for the uh, seventy eight oh five is is the big thing. So I'll have to work figure out a workaround for that. So that we can uh, get it working and such. 
So if you showed up next week, Sloopy, on a, on a Cocoa One or Two, if do you still have the RF out available at the time? Because it would be good to show a comparison, like how better the picture quality is between the two, if you could show that on the air next week. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, the other one is going to go into a uh, um, Cocoa One or Two. I'm, I haven't decided. Probably my uh, Cocoa Two, considering composite mod for the Cocoa One is so easy, and the Cocoa Two, it's a little bit more involved. So it'll probably go into one of my Coco 2s. Okay, because I'd love to see a comparison. Like you can show, like, here's what RF, your standard stuff looks like. Here's what yeah. it looks like with the Coco DV. Yep, and then hook it up. To, uh, I can hook it up to my Magnavox Professional 80 monitor so that you have a nice uh, view of it coming out on the uh, unmodified machine. And then, uh, or, well, a composite modified machine and then have a... a um, digital video monitor next to it so we can compare them side by side. I got yep. a question now. Um, yep. how, how do you plug in the uh, HDMI cable? Um, do you have to... I, if, I see it there, but so you have to uh, modify the case a little bit with a cut? Yeah, the, well, the, the, the cable, it plugs in like this. Yeah. Plugs in on an angle, and then you uh, run the other side either to the side of the case and put a, like a hole where you just run it out Okay, so um, the, through the case somewhere. What I'm saying is then uh, the female part of that uh, doesn't go right up to the back of the case. It's on yeah, the I'm not, of the machine. Yeah, I'm not 100% because I haven't really looked at the directions for installing in a Coco because he's already got that done. And I was mostly interested in it for my MC 10 because I haven't used my MC 10 a lot because I only have RF on it and I wanted something else. And I've been waiting six, eight months for something else. And this is the first thing to come along. Cool. cool. Well, definitely look forward to seeing your demonstration of it at live and in action uh, next week. So if anybody else wants to check out to see what the Coco DV actually looks like in the field compared to the yeah. standard. We'll see he, that next uh, week. Yeah. He just released a new video. So, um i'll cover that I, next week too <laughs> yeah i haven't even looked at it yet so hopefully that that will answer more questions and then uh next week i'll be able to show you how the uh how to get it into your mc10 cool now before we get to brian weasler and his uh you know storage houses of doom uh is yeah. there anybody else have any project updates or acquisitions yeah could i jump in with one thing quick sure i have finished my report on the hdl keyboard um, so let's throw it on, the, I've thrown it on the screen here. So um, here are all the number keys. This is, this is a Coco keyboard schematic. Here are all the number keys. And then here are the inner keys. So every key in the HJL is here. This so specific rows, basically. So, and not only that, but they all fall together. So all it has to do is plug into the low part of the keyboard connector. And there's everything that's on the number pad. And the oh. rest of the keyboard connector is all the letters. So it's a very simple hookup. And if that's an 11-pin key, 11-pin header off the side of your HDL, Ron, you know exactly yeah. how it hooks up. Oh, uh, let's see. Just like that. <laughs> so how would you keep the uh, existing keyboard and then have this added? I'm sure it? The, the cable that came with it was a wire arrangement so that you plugged it into the Coco, plugged the membrane into it. 16 pins. 
it has all 16? Yeah. Okay, that's a full keyboard connector then. So it was just a true Y. Everything is just wide together. Just a splitter, basically. Just split yeah, it from they, the keyboard connector inside the Coco yeah. off to the regular keyboard and this number jack. So they didn't need, yeah, so I didn't even need to look that hard. But anyway, you could yeah. do it with just that little bit. And that's okay. that's a number pad. Yep. Anyway. Cool. That was that was my in show analysis of the HGO keyboard. <laughs> no, we, don't, we don't have Live. to look for a manual now, right? Yeah, just, well, just yeah, but it might be on the archive because it, it it wasn't totally unpopular. I do remember seeing people buying it. It just wasn't anything I needed at the time. Now, if we had a hex numeric keypad, I might have considered it, but <laughs> well, that would be nasty. Well, mind you, since it's doing all all the pins, there you it's could have made a hex pins, keypad. So yeah, you could just have to hook up some more rows, but yeah, hex key. Mm, no problem. Oh, hey, any any other anybody else so wants to do something before we go to Brian? He's been patiently waiting. <laughs> I only have two simple things to show. It'll take me five minutes. Okay, you're on. <laughs> All right, go for it. Um, I got something here I want to show, and Rick Rick can, is not allowed to comment at this point yet. So, <laughs> so anyway, does anybody know what this? is it's a circuit board it's a circuit board because i know rick's oh gonna know what it is because oh my god i want one of those i almost looks like an at it's a mfm emulator exactly it has a beagle board on the back this is an mfm yeah. uh, uh uh drive emulator yeah so I've, what will that do i've been looking at them drooling over them wishing i had the money for one i actually have a beagle bone they even use on it yeah, you can order them without the beagle bone. Uh, there's a company out there, uh, PDP8 online. Um, they make these. Uh, they can be used in a lot of different retro systems where you have an MFM drive because you can go in there and configure it. It's configured through uh, through the network interface, um, through command lines, and you can configure it to any – because you can go in there and set the different cylinders, sectors, Drive size, so you can emulate almost any kind of uh, any size of an MFM drive. And okay, so, so this is meant for um, MFM hard drives, not the MFM floppy, right? Right. Oh yeah, if I'm saying floppy, I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah, no, you disk, didn't. You didn't. But MFM yeah. covers both, so I just want to make sure. Oh, okay. Well, yep. Yeah. So be, this would be your hard disk. How about an RLR RLR drive? RLL. Mm, yeah. That I'm not sure about. Because no, it, it does same, not support RLL. Yeah, because it had the same pins out. Yeah, it was basically compressed. It was either what, what's the uh, capacity of it? What's the highest? Uh, that I'm not sure about. I haven't. I, I'm just now starting to read the documentation yet. So it'll support um, the full uh, ST412 specs. So it's like 128 uh, meg or something, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, 16 heads, uh, 1024 cylinders, and I don't remember the exact number of uh, sectors well, per what track. Part? What part hooks up to the piece to a computer, and what part hooks up to what? Well, the, well, those, the, well, the stuff on the left side would be worth the drive. Yeah, yeah. Would have, would those are standard drive connectors, right there. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, part yeah. is for the emulation. I'm sorry. What are the blue connectors for? Well, the blue connectors. What this will do? This will do one other thing. And what you can do is you can actually connect this to a uh, like to your computer. And then you can actually plug in another physical drive here, so you can basically back up another drive to a drive if you wanted to, like a real drive type thing. Yes, if you, <laughs> yeah, if you've got a real physical drive, 
you could plug those cables in here and then the other end would go to your physical drive. Yeah, you can um, either emulate a drive on it with it or you can actually uh, read a drive and back it up. Yes. And for those not familiar, the, the MFM drive standard, which was like a PC standard as well, that's what the old XT drives basically used to, the AT <laughs> yeah. drives. This but uh, the Brick and Burke used uh, MFM. That's actually was its most common. It also had RLL options too. If you had the right, yeah, yeah this, it was. This is this is what it's emulating. Yeah, it was the first drive that was uh, commonly available. The ST five hundred six, ST four twelve. Yeah, the reason why it's called that is because the ST five hundred six was a uh, uh, an actual uh, drive by Seagate Technology, and it was a five meg. And then the ST four twelve came out a year later, which was a twelve meg. Well, yeah. 10 minutes, actually. If someone could spotlight Mark, I think Mark said he has one. Well, I'd be the one spotlighting, so. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, Mark, there you go. <laughs> spotlight yourself. <laughs> depending right, on which yeah. Mark you're talking about, too, so. Oh, um, yep, true. You can uh, always use last initial, Mark B, Mark O. Yeah. Sorry, I know a lot about it because I've been reading up about it on and off so, for the next last couple months. Yeah. Flip it over, so yeah, it knows those connectors. the same thing, yeah. Yep. Yep, I I had a couple of those with my Birkin Burke, so. Yep. Ooh, it's half height, but I full width. Five megabyte in my um. Yeah, this is a, a two fifty one. And that's yeah, a, so I, uh, forty meg mini scrap. Yeah. yeah, so I have one of those big, large metal tanks, uh, hard disk, uh, yeah. that I bought from Rick. Um, and I do have a drive in it, but it's a bit iffy, and so I'm not sure if it's going to work or not. So this might be one solution for that. Also, um, to use with the Burke and Burke as we, uh, we've been talking about. So a couple you'll different able, options. You'll be able to back that one up. Yep. The nice thing too, is because yep. if you have a Burke and Burke, it's actually a, a backup controller basically. Cause then now you can, if the Burke and Burke died or the little satellite card died, you can, you can use it mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And like, and like Rick and I were chatting a little bit. One nice thing here is that, um, like if you're in OS nine, don't necessarily have to go and change the descriptor. We can just take this and match whatever we we're wanting to do as well, too. You know, so I mean, yeah, which means like, like OS9 drivers are done. It's just the Birkin Burke drivers, and you're ready to go. Don't have to yep. code anything oh, custom. That doesn't have an SD card slot, does it? Yes, it does. Right here. Doesn't that store? Yep. That's so the SD is where. Yep. Yep. Because that's actually where the stuff would be. That's actually where the data would be stored. Is on a little micro SD right here. Yeah, because you have virtual up to 128 meg drives, and you probably have, can have multiple ones in there depending on the size of the SD card. Yep. So, and I do have something else if we're ready to move on. You want to spotlight me in there, Mark? Okay, this next one here is a is a box, <laughs> and I haven't I I have not opened this up yet, so I know what should be inside here. So we're all going to see it together. So. Um, it's a brick. I, Looks like it had a rough deal. ride. <laughs> it's twelve number jacks. <laughs> well, the, the box is looking a little rough here, so got pulled uh, over by the truck. Do you have super glue? Well, no. You'll understand why the box maybe is in a condition here in a moment. Okay. Came all the way from Buffalo, New York. Uh, much farther than that. Came all the way from New York. Oh, well, they use good tape here. Sorry, guys. Come from where Nick lives? That's the only thing holding the box together, obviously. <laughs> 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 
Okay, whoops, hold on here. I'll give one little hint. Uh, Curtis asked me about this about three weeks ago. My memory isn't that good. <laughs> okay. Okay, Who's here we Curtis? go. This has been on my list for a long time. Ah. ah we'll be seeing it again, actually, sale. in a couple of weeks when they're guesting on the show. Yep. Computador. So, yes. This came from Brazil. And let's see here. Let's get inside this thing here and see what... Uh, After 40 years, the box took a little damage, but hey. <laughs> A little damage, yep. Okay, let's see what we got here. I think it's in better shape than my new inbox Coco 3 that I got a decade ago, so... Oh, oh, still got the of, retail boxes for the controllers. Got, got, got the joystick here. Now I thought these are kind of a cool looking. I don't know why, but uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, a different design. It's a gray, yeah, little, gray based beauty. on the black beauty, though. Yeah, <laughs> yep, it's a gray beauty. And they had a uh, they had ones that had red, and they had other ones that had a green handle. And I thought those kind of interesting because it has the the stretchy cord for the uh, oily. So uh, yeah, that's different. Okay. I don't know of any other Coco joysticks that use the coil cord. <laughs> and then, of course, we have the power adapter. I'm going to have to figure out something here for this. Here. Oh, yeah. That's scary. <laughs> <laughs> we do got the, uh, the power You, you can get travel kits that adapt those, I think, pretty cheap. Dr. So. Snoopy's brother. He knows all about that. There we go. And uh, what do we got here? So this must yeah. be the uh, cassette cord. Because cable. Yeah, yeah there's yep. websites that sell Transformers like for that. It's kind of different. Instead of having like one cable with a uh, splitting out, it's like is that three cables tied together. We bought off the off the shelf cable instead of. Uh, yeah, I have one of those um, that was for the Model One, and it's the same three cords like that. And then here's the computer itself. Here then. So, so that's the earlier generation one with the chiclet keyboard. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Unlike the one that's uh, that Simon showed that he uh, acquired. Yep. Yeah. Let's see the bottom. And the cartridge ports Ooh. to the right side there. Yeah, and the cartridge goes through the front, doesn't it? I remember. Does it say 64K here? No vents. Um, I don't are all the ports in the back standard. basically standard Cocoa ones, or are they? Are there any extras or differences? Um, let's see here. Like model CP400, 60 hertz, serial number 00978. And on the back here, we got uh, we got TV, and then we got channel three or four, and then ah, we got uh, VHF. Uh, it says Joy Dir. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. D I R. Uh, Joy E S Q. That must be left, left and right. right. And yep. Yeah, and they're six yep. pin. And then, uh, uh, yes, they are. Yep. And then we have a uh, serial, and then uh, the monitor. This is what I'm going to begin. I'm going to be kind of curious about the monitor port, see what that's like. It's probably got a composite output. This here, I know the Dragon does. Okay. And this is kind of interesting. This says K7. How many K7. pins? I wonder, oh, I wonder, if that's the, I wonder if that's the cassette port. That's probably the cassette port. It's got five in a 180 like configuration. Uh, yes. Yep. Right. So, Brian, oh, one thing I found yeah, out with... Good. One thing I found with my Tano Dragon is the uh, homemade video cables for the Commodore 64 for the older uh, yes. design for the composite output works fine. My cables for that work fine with the Tano, except that the audio and video are reversed. 
And K7 okay. is what they put on the uh, French computers for the cassette port, because if you pronounce it in French, it's cassette. Okay. Ah, it is, isn't it? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. I got that from 8-Bits in the basement, by the way. <laughs> and then uh, and I'm assuming this is a, oh, this must, oh, this is the power then. So Fonte, Fonte, would that be the power? I don't know. F-O-N-T-E, that'd be the power point here. Probably. Let's is it see. a DIN or yeah. something else? Yeah, it's a three-pin DIN. Okay. So and then so you got the got the power and then your power Switch. on and power off and then uh, and then Curtis's question. Is there a reset? Um, Should lift up. Um, cart goes in. I don't see a reset button. No. Nope. So yeah. So this this lifts up right here. Reset button back there and the power switch may be on the power supply. So yeah, this is the uh, this is where the game cartridges go and I did do a little bit of reading. And the it's clear down inside here. It's hard to see, but the uh, the edge card is the same as the Coco uh, ROM and card, Dragon. but they and Dragon, but they changed this. They changed this here so that way you could only buy their ROM cartridges to fit in there. Yeah, it's too narrow for a regular cartridge to fit in, right? So you have right, to basically yeah. take the circuit board out and. Well, take the circuit board or out, or if you had a uh, an extender or a Y cable, ribbon cable, you yeah. could plug the, you could plug the way one into here, and then you could just have it setting out and you can plug the wrong cartridge in that way. So there's no bus extension outside of that? Nope. It's it's uh it's it's hard to see, but it's clear it's it's clear That's in the back the there the edge card connector. Instead of coming out the side, it comes out the front. Yeah. yeah. So the only vents are on top. Um <laughs> I'm not sure on the bottom, even... just the top. <laughs> yeah, just the top. Uh I'm looking to see your boy if they're they're the spaces between them is so thin. I'm not even sure if it's if it's even a vent or if it's just decoration because it's very very thin. Oh, that's funny. No vents. Beauty. So you need a six three oh nine in there to cool it off. Thanks, what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. So, it's um, yeah, there's no yeah. vents. And no vents there. I don't see any sort of hidden screws. So I think you can take the screws out from this. So, but from what I understand, down there they uh, um, they copied everything down there. From what I understand, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. they, they had really loose copyright laws if it was coming from another country. Yeah. So I, mean, none. I don't think they had any copyright the box laws coming from another up. country. Yeah, so I said, I eat none. We'll find out for <laughs> sure in two box. weeks when they're on the show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they've been cloned the original Macintoshes. I mean, down to the ROMs. <laughs> Let's see the and power I'm, supply. I'm assuming that this would probably work on a Coco as well. So I don't think yeah. why, it should, they, yeah, why, think reinvent so. the, why reinvent the wheel there. So what'd you want to see, Ron? Power supply. Oh, that's a beacon. It's got vents. <laughs> yeah, it's got vents. <laughs> so it's two forty volt, sixty hertz. Um, it it has a switch on the back, so you can switch between one ten and two twenty. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, you can pick okay. up an adapter like at Walmart. Yeah, you can just get a, a physical adapter. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Like travel kits that you can buy for hotels and stuff when you're traveling, all have those little adapters for those different plugs. So. Yeah, I don't see anything fancy in here. I think this is strictly just a transformer, and so this is probably AC. Yeah, it's probably and a dual uh, line coil, and the switch switches between. Uh, yep. Put a new end on yeah, it. So, yeah. yeah, there's only three pins here, so it's probably ground, and then. Uh, yeah. Uh, it it might be just well. So what's might the be, cocoa? Does might it, be five and twelve. Cocoa, well, but it'd be five and twelve. Isn't isn't? Yeah, the, the original cocoa one was five and twelve. So. Yeah, so it might be well, five, five, twelve, and common. Well, yeah. the yep. the transformers that are in the cocos are just a three pin. You get right, your ground yes. and your yep. two two legs. Right. Yep. 
That also explains why there might not be air vents too, because the, most of the heat's generated by the power supply. If it's external, then you, it's not such a big issue. And if it's regulating it to five and twelve, then there's really no reason to do much regulation in the computer. So not much excessive heat. Well, this is this is the red one, and then on the side of the box is kind of a picture of what the green one, which right. is just a green handle. So, so did this one come with any software too, or just just the computer itself? Just the computer. I I haven't located any software. It'd be, it would be neat to get some. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what their cartridges actually look like. I'm kind of curious. Yeah, what's the red disc thing on the side of the joystick box? Some weird. Um, the the other side of you. Yeah, that's just a swirl. Oh, that's just to show you what it does. Okay. Yep, and then this is kind of an S swirl. So you go all different directions. (laughs) You should plug that in, turn it on, and um, you know, put the Y cable on and run a couple of uh, round packs in it and see how long it takes to heat it up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well i'll definitely be powering it on at some point here but uh yeah i'm gonna see what i can find out uh like for that monitor port it might be kind of nice to get uh get some composite video out of it or something so yeah yeah ron we'll do that right after you live plug in your number jack to show us how that works yeah, did right. it uh, come with a manual <laughs> you get manual unfortunately it did not uh, no it didn't hopefully they're online but, uh... my tano my tano dragon <laughs> came with all the original documentation anyway yeah, but they probably have oh, the joystick did come with the joystick did come with the manual. So move left and right, <laughs> up and down. I can only read just a couple words here, unfortunately. So I'll have to get my Google. You're not fluent in Portuguese. No, I will have to uh, get my Google Translate out to uh, to it's assist. Funny me how here, the word so. joystick was the same in both languages. So is CD-ROM. Bad to mate bitter in the chat is saying that the cartridge design is similar to the TS-2006, which is the Timex Sinclair clone of the uh, or, or redistribution, I guess, is more accurate, of the Spectrum. Okay. Oh, oh, warranty card? Uh-oh, somebody didn't Make sure you fill that in and send it in. You don't want it to go right <laughs> that on it. And then uh, I also had your good old... Uh, RF to RF uh, transformer here. Yep. <coughs> I won't be using that. Okay. So. So, so, Brian, th- yes. this is this is the kind of thing you need to plug that in with. It's got all kinds of adapters. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can use all them in Europe and, and Asia and South America and all over the place. You can just go get one of those uh, replacement oh. AC cord ends and lop the end off. And... <laughs> so so <laughs> like that, good, huh? that plug there and on the other side, it's got uh, that guy. You could okay. pick him up Looks at like Target, Britain. Walmart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's big ones here. If you want to play a lot from, you can buy them at airports. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there yeah. <you> go. yeah. <laughs> Last minute buy. I've had to do that, Ron. <laughs> yeah, have you? Yeah, I forgot mine and when I was going to Ireland, so then I had to buy one just so I could be able to you know, recharge my phone. $30. Huh? So that's all I have, gentlemen. Cool. Good stuff. And well, once again, a plug. In two weeks, we're actually having the uh, the Brazilian Retro Computer Group, which has some of the TP founders of both versions, actually will okay. be live guests on the show to show us their uh, their own retro show, their, their equivalent of Cocoa Fest. Okay. Well, maybe I'll have mine fired up by then and have it run in the background. Yeah, you can start asking questions there. It'd be good to there, time there, to do it. There you go and get some answers. <laughs> See if the uh, color of smoke that comes out of your machines any different than the ones of ours. <laughs> Doesn't right? left or right. <laughs>
And I so, think that's okay. that's it. I don't think anybody else had any project updates or acquisitions to talk about or no. Okay, so just a reminder, uh, send in some any questions you have for uh, asking Boise about uh, the second decade of Nitrous 9. Um, we'll get the date out to you as soon as we can. I'm hoping probably in the, not next week, but the week after. It'll be a weekday evening sometime. Didn't Boise write that book with uh, the yep. other guy? Now, uh, can we ask some questions about that book too? Bill Lodgitude, Lodgitude. Uh, I, I don't want to concentrate on those. If you want to throw in one or two, that's fine. But I mean, this is more for the third well, anniversary. I just wondered like, if, if he's thought about updating uh, the book too. Uh, yeah, actually, he has answered that. No. <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to? Yeah. No, no he's, he said he, he did all the research on that, uh, and that, okay. that was it. I think it'll have to be somebody will have to do an update addendum style thing, like what's happened since that book was published, which is actually quite a bit. Well, how how um, long has it been since it's been out, do you think? Uh, 20 years, is it? No. No, it hasn't been that long, has it? Yeah, it's under 10. 20 years? It's about six, seven years ago, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's not more than 10, I don't think. 2014 rings a bell or 15 okay. or something? I don't have my handy. It's oh, a backshelf. I can't read years ago. So a couple of years, it'll be 10 years old. Afredo might be able to do it because he did one before Boise. He did one that covered up until 1992 or three or something like that. He published just online, you know, the that's, text file. That's a PDF one. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we've got a few things coming up. Talk so we've got uh, the Brazilian thing. We've got the Nitrous 9 anniversary thing. I'm still trying to line up a couple of last interviews too that uh, I just never hear back from. So I'm not sure if they're happening, but crossing my fingers, they will eventually. And of course, Nick uh, is going to be in beta pretty soon here for his game here. So we'll probably get some updates, maybe some live demos of some of the stuff that he's been adding in since we last saw it. I'll have a video for next week anyway. So. Cool. And of course, uh, Ken's part two of his uh, Cursed Coco from Hell should be coming out soon. Plus a couple of things that were announced today in the chat there that we'll be covering next week in the news. Lots of stuff coming. The, the Coco's definitely not a dead computer. That's all I can tell you. Okay. Ready for the outro? You're talking about Brian, Candy's uh, Little Wonder, the first book? There's Brian's CP40 yeah. there, I see. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was Frank Swagger that wrote that. Right. Okay. Ready for the outro? This concludes another episode of Cobra Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calora computer, MC10, and Dragon systems. For all things Cobra Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weaver, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, George Jansen, Grant Leedy, James Diffendapper, Jason Riker, Jim Brain, K. 
Ken Riker, Ken Waters, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Ulin, Rob Inman, Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many, many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever! Wasn't Dave wearing the same shirt today? <laughs> Only shirt. Alright, coming out. <laughs> okay, any last minute thoughts? Push the button, Frank. Okay. Is it over already? It's like uh, there's another big show. thank you to Richard Harding for bringing in the, the dragon uh, meetup here from Port Talbot. That, that was really cool seeing some Definitely. of that stuff there. Okay. Other than that, right. see you all next week. Bye, Thanks. everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.